Uh oh. Can you not hear me? I can hear you, but you're not in the right place. Oh. Hold on, I'm fixing it. I had a, you know, I've I've, <laughs> I've three audio like controls for the volume on my headphones. <laughs> uh huh. Two of them were turned up. The third one was not, and of course you were quiet. But now I gotcha. You're you're nice and loud now, and I'm nice and loud in my own ears. Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> How about now? There we go. How's that? Say it good? Yeah. Not as- no, you're still not loud enough. Oh. It's just, this is such a mess. I'll put, oh, wait, there we, ah, there we go. Click on the right thing and slide the thing. Now you should now, be better. Now you're good? Now, now everybody's yeah, good? Yeah, good enough. Good huh. enough. Good. Wow. Huh. Oh, hum. Yeah, it's, it's it's fine. It's so it's so complicated. It is, and you know, listening to many of our favorite podcasts, um, the, this is what happens. This is what you do. Well, if it's in the show, it's in the show, um, and that means if you have Skype, it's in the show. That's right. Well, if, I mean, it depends. If you have a highly produced podcast, oh, which we with don't. with what? What was the? Uh, oh, oh, silence! Silence your notifications. Don. Turn your key, sir. Yeah. To silence your notifications. Wait, let, let me get the actual quote here. Because um, I think it's I think it's awesome. Uh, oh, it's it's way down because we because people people talk to us all the time. So it's not even right up top of my in my menchies. Um, in the there. No, no, this is this is great. We I, there's lots of stuff. Oh, here we go. Come on. I'm not an audio snob, but the notifications from the podcast are louder than the ones that come from my phone. Can you please downgrade to the before times or go sideways with a noise canceling headset? Well, so here's the thing. What I think, <laughs> what I think this individual needs to do is turn up the notifications on their phone. Yeah, the, the, that's the obvious solution to the right. problem, right? That's right. That's right. It's uh, low, right, so low notifications. I've, yeah, so I've turned on "Do Not Disturb" from eight, not to not to uh, obfuscate, unobfuscate my opsec, but "Do Not Disturb" is on from eight a.m. until one p.m. Uh, right now. So that that will hopefully help with uh, notifications, but I really don't know. That should do it. It should it, it should do. It. I'm in, should yeah. I'm in the same I'm in the same boat. Um, here, do not disturb. Do not disturb. You got them all. Dis- everything's on. Do not disturb. You, don't disturb me, Don. I'm D and D, as they say, D&D. which is not a game that you play with dice. It's no, that, apparently do not disturb. It's, it's like in in, in out burger, in, in, in out burger, <laughs> right? It's it and which which is a place that I I I love. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it's friend of the show, but but food safety friend. Um, Jason uh, is uh, Jason Horns, the guy who runs food safety for In and Out, who I know from IAFP. I'm gonna um, I, I mentioned that I, um, I'm, I I'm told or mentioned I'm um, that I'm I'm gonna go to Phoenix uh, for IAFP in the last episode, and that I'm I'm doing that tomorrow, and I'm already gonna I've already planned a trip to In and Out Burger with uh, our friend Michelle. Because yeah, well, you know, I, I, I'm being a East Coast person. I was not familiar with In and Out Burger, um, but when I visited Michelle uh, when she was a student in Linda Harris's lab, we went for In and Out Burger, and it was quite good. I, I have to say, I, I really, I'm, I'm a fan. It's so, it's so good, and it's, and it's. Um, I mean, there's, there's nothing. There's, 
there's nothing overly special about it. It's not like a a, a gourmet burger, uh, but it's tasty. <laughs> <laughs> How about it? Is it artisanal? It's artisanal gourmet, um, and it, but it's it's super tasty. It's super tasty. Uh, yeah, so so I'm, I'm heading out there. I'm 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 a little I'm a little nervous to travel, and I'm not nervous to travel really for COVID reasons. I'm nervous to travel because. I, I don't, I can't really remember exactly how to do it anymore. Like, like yeah. I've, th- this is. Well, li- did you, did you at least record your record? Did you at least get your flights on the right week? Got the flights <laughs> on the right apparently week. apparently that's, that's a problem for yeah. some people. Yes. And I've upgraded. I think, I mean, we talked about this a year ago. I upgraded my, my travel cord system. Um, Cause it was, it was really willy nilly before, right? Like I would pack mm. a bag. And I would say, okay, here are the things that are going to go into my travel. What you know, what, which computers am I taking? Or computer? What I've got an iPad. I got a phone. I need to charge some things. I might need to charge my headphones. All this kind of stuff, right? So, um, but uh, about and, and really, I, I remember sometime, probably this time last year, purchasing, seeing, seeing this on, um, you know, somewhere on Apple News about you know best deals for cord bags, and I found a really nice little cord bag on on Amazon. So it has literally been packed for a year. Got all my cords ready to go. I've I've switched in some new ones. Uh, I I'm now taking so this and again this is fascinating to no one except for probably you, Don. I'm going to take an Amazon Fire Stick with me so I can watch my own Netflix and in you know Amazon uh, Video and Hulu like all those things on my on my little. Uh, my, my own, I'm going to plug that in. I'm not going to use, I'm going to use a TV that they have, but I don't need their TV channels. This is a, I'm, I'm going to, I'm just, I, I like my setup. I'm taking it with me. Um, well, you know, I, what I have found on a lot of hotel rooms recently is you can actually log into your own Netflix on their TV. I've, I've done that. I've seen that. I'm, uh, for OPSEC reasons, that bothers me. I worry hmm. that I'm not going to. You don't want them watching your shows. I don't want them watching my shows. I'm worried I'm not going to log out. And then all of a sudden, everybody's oh, everybody's watching your shows. Everybody's watching my shows. I'm four episodes ahead. Someone's trying to change my password. <laughs> all of that. I don't know. So I, I'm I, I've, I'm engineering that out of the process. I'm taking my own Fire Stick, and it's got all my settings, everything I want. Um, I bought a new duffel bag. I'm not a mm. duffel. Yeah, I'm not even a duffel. I don't, well, here's the thing. I don't know if I'm a duffel bag guy, but I'm going to try this because everything I've read is there. They are easier to to manage in the the overheads and carrying through airports um because they you, you can squish it you right. I, I got like a I, you know I, i've got a norm like a, a i don't know a hard body carry-on is that, mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. <laughs> show title uh um but but now i've got a i got a duffel bag that that converts into a backpack because you know i also like a backpack so i I'm overly excited literally to get on a plane, but I'm nervous about it because I don't know what to do anymore. Um, I've let my lounge access lapse because mm. I, I was, I mean, I, I was traveling. We all were. We were traveling a lot. Like I, I would three three or four trips a month probably. Um, and I, I, I think, I don't know if you and I had talked about this on, on air or off air or whatever, but... I a, a few years ago calculated how much money I was spending in food and and drinks in airports, and it was cheaper to get a Delta Lounge pass. Mm. Um, so, but but obviously that made sense 
when you are only if you're eating in the see here's the thing about the lounge then this is how they get you you can't just go to the airport and eat in the lounge if you're not taking a flight you can't go for a meal they don't let you do that no you don't you don't just go and get get some broccoli and cheddar soup and a and a toasted bagel um or or whatever whatever the little little cheese cheese cubes um so so not traveling i said well i don't i probably don't need that cost anymore i will stop it and and i haven't this is the first trip that i'm taking and i i have not convinced myself that i'm going to be traveling enough again to, to re- make it worthwhile yeah. yeah so i mean never my lounge days may be over <laughs> like, yeah Right, like I don't know. I'm yeah. not. I'm not sure. And which is, which is such a, a like a privileged conversation. I I realize that, but it, it was that one thing, like little pampering thing that I that I kind of gave myself on on trips. Where oh, yeah. where, where it was like you know I I like that. I liked the, I, you know the I like the whole process of getting there, going behind these closed doors. Not not dealing with anybody else, charging. There were charge. I could charge anywhere I wanted. Yeah. Even the seats yeah. have little chargers in them. Yeah. Um, get a you know have a beer, have a you know drink drink a glass of wine, whatever, whatever you need. Don't you don't worry about whether it's it, it's a, a thirteen dollar glass of wine because it's not. It's all in, it's included in your lounge price. It's not. Yeah. Free. Well, if you want a good if you want a good glass of wine, you have to pay for it. But for a, a, right. a not a very good glass of wine or an o, a okay beer um, or a, a bar drink. Um, whatever they call that. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it was, it, if it, it, it met what I was looking for. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna have that. And, and I, maybe I, here's the thing, maybe I'm okay with that. Maybe I don't, I don't, mm. I don't need that anymore. Um, and, and especially if I, if I only travel like once a month, you know, what's the, mm. it's, it's not worth the, I don't know, $60 a, a month, I think is what I calculated mm-hmm. it out to be. So, so anyway, that's, that's my, my, my day tomorrow, I don't even know, like, I'm, I'm so out of the loop on how I'm getting to the airport. Um, my flight's at 8.15, and I asked Danny, which I never would have done before. I'm like, do you want to drive me to the airport? She's like, huh, maybe, because I would have taken an Uber, I would have taken yep. my car and left it there. But but our whole, like, the the two of us, we as our kids have gotten older, we, we are no longer, like, um, oh, someone's got to stay home with the with the kids. Like even if right. even if we're going to like Home Depot or Target, we both kind of go just to hang out, like a little like a a sad date that <laughs> that is happening, right? Like it's oh well, let's let's just the two of us go alone. So th- that was to the Home Depot, yeah. Home Depot, yeah. Or and here it is this tomorrow morning is. Do you want to go on a just a quick date to drive me to the airport? <laughs> And that wasn't a weird conversation. She was like, oh, yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. It's weird, though. Yeah. So, so everything's everything's changed. Um, My, uh, you know what? You know, one thing that hasn't changed? Oh, delays? Uh, Well, our friend Michelle complaining about travel. That has not changed. True. Yes. Boy, she was complaining a lot yesterday. And you, (laughs) 86 messages, apparently. Let me tell you, Don, you only saw half of it because I got a bunch of direct ones. In fact, one I will read you in somewhat real time that came in since we've been recording that says, I still can't believe I didn't bring headphones, facepalm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's pretty bad. Yeah. That's why you need a checklist. Well, or, or I, well, and I, this, yes, you need a checklist or, or what I think I've done is I've put everything in a bag except for headphones, but I'm, I'm going to travel with, uh, again, the life of privilege. I'm going to travel with two sets of headphones 
and one that that has a cord capability. So when I'm on a plane, I can plug it in to listen to, you know, ESPN or CNN or whatever the live TV is. If I don't want to watch something on my iPad, which I again had to plant. Like I, I can't, I can't express to you how weird this is. Like I would always have a series of things downloaded on my iPad. I now have a new iPad that has nothing on it downloaded. Like I haven't spent time to, you know, move movies over, put mm-hmm. some stuff in my, my Netflix downloads, all that kind of stuff. So I, I, I like literally have time on my calendar today to, to spend, you know, 20 minutes figuring out what I got to, what I'm going to download on my, on my iPad. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this is uh, you know, fascinating for absolutely no one. Um, maybe, maybe you, uh, Oh, Don, I got a, Real time follow, not real time follow up, but my my email just uh, dinged. Well, uh, didn't I didn't hear it? No, it didn't ding loud because I'm on DND. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, Bethan at New Food, who I don't know, but is sending started sending sending me emails, which I will unsubscribe to right now. Um, uh, Bethan just wrote, uh, "Is meat under threat?" I don't know, Don. Do you think? <sighs> Do you think is meat under threat? That's what um, that's what the newsletter says. I don't know. I I'm and honestly, I'm really I'm really not sure that I care what what Bethan has to say about it. I'm not really whether meat may or may not be under threat, but I don't think I'm going to learn anything from reading about that. Well, here, let me read you some <laughs> some. Uh, I've forwarded you this email. These are the week's <laughs> top stories. <laughs> um, here on and this, this is from the oh. I just, I think I just heard something. God damn it. See, now, now I don't understand. I turned on Where did that come the from? setting on the thing, right? Do not disturb from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. Yeah, it's oh, wait. So maybe I have to to save this? I don't know. I don't know. Well, um, while, while you're doing that, let me tell you the week's okay. top stories. Will plant-based meat alternatives ever be as popular <laughs> as meat? Question mark. Well, Betteridge's Law would say that's a no. There's another question right here in the second story, Don. Is that soya sustainable? <laughs> is that soya sustainable? Is soya that sustainable? I don't know if that's the wrong if that's the wrong headline. Majority of Brits don't know calorie content of their drink, claims research. Gene editing in plants more acceptable than livestock, study finds. And uh, Barry Calabot to open factory in the Russian city of uh, Kilin- Kilingra. So there you go. But I they didn't really answer at all if meat is under threat in any of uh, any of that. <laughs> I think I think it's the I think it's that top uh, headline will plant-based meat alternatives be ever be as popular as meat. Another way of saying that is is uh, do plant-based alternatives threaten meat? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, is meat exact yes. And uh, I think I'm going to go with no. Grace Mongi and, and Ronan Gormley are reporting on developments. It's a lot. I I, I don't know. I get on these. We all do, right? We're all on these like yeah. newsletters that just show up, and I don't know how they. Like, I, I certainly haven't subscribed to new food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I was going to tell you about. Oh, so I know you have not. Um, you, you're a you're a Disney Plus subscriber. Is that correct? Have you? This is correct. Yeah, I can confirm. Have you? What, what what's your dedication to the marvel cinematic universe at, at, at this point have you <laughs> have you viewed the um the ongoing um 
uh, new series uh, that are uh, intertwined with the you know the the phase phases of the cinematic universe, the in, including Wandavision and um, w- w- uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier and Loki. Are you are you in on these at all? So let me. I just I'm very up to speed on this conversation because I just had this conversation with my wife last night. So our friend Michelle, who sent uh, at least 86 text messages the other day. Um, <laughs> said was talking about loki and i turned to my wife and i said did you know that there's a a a disney plus show um about loki and she's like yes (laughs) i I didn't know you were interested in the marvel cinematic universe and i said i literally have boxes and boxes of comic books and she says that doesn't count and I don't care about that. I thought you got rid of those, something like that. Um, and then, uh, and but but we did we did watch all of Wandavision, and I enjoyed it very much. And I, the, I mean, these are I'm fine. Like I I I have given like I I appreciate our friend uh, Michelle who has her pandemic project. One of them was to watch the entire entire MCU in chronological order. Um, during the pandemic, and that's great. I mean, everybody needs a hobby. I'm I'm happy to dip my toe into the MCU, and it's fine. Like I I I know all these characters. I know them from reading comic books as a kid, uh, and I'm fine to not be completely up to speed with everything, and, and just to, to sort of dip a toe in. So, you know, if my wife decided to start watching Loki tomorrow, I would be fine with that. Uh, I, I'm. Here's the thing, Ben. As longtime listeners of this show will know, um, there is uh, one person in this house, in our house, that controls the television, and it is not me. And so I'm mostly we 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 have discussions. We're like, is this a thing that you're going to watch, or is this thing that we're going to watch? And then and then theoretically, there are shows that I would only watch. Except I don't really do that. Like I just go and do something else, um, like review a manuscript <laughs> when I have some fun time by myself. Right, right. Well, and and I and I think I mean this harkens back to our earlier conversation on travel. I think what you you would do in in the past is you would have some shows that you would watch that that Kristen would not watch. I, well, this is true. I, mean, I did yeah. I did make it twice around all the episodes of The Wire by myself while traveling because that show is not for her, right? right. And and I did make it through one and a half seasons of that spy show whose name I forget with the guy who's a folk singer. Oh yeah. Patriot Patriot Patriot. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. I always want to say, and that's not the Patriot, but yeah. I, and so I made it through one and a half seasons of Patriot. And I really would love to watch the rest of that show. That show is just a, a, an absolute delight. Even if I can't always remember the name. Um, yeah. So there's a, there's, there are some things that I do watch and you know, I, you know, I'm happy to watch the big Lebowski anytime yet to convince my wife to watch that. Um, yeah. It, yeah. 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 So, that I mean, and and I have similar situations. We we now have um, a setup in our house where we have we have two TVs that are like in good viewing for watching movies and, and TV shows that are. In, we we no longer have a dining room. We don't. We never used a dining room. Hmm. Um, we have a an eat in kitchen that has a dining table at it. So so we over the course of the pandemic changed our dining room into a place where the kids were um, first doing their virtual schooling. Um, so there is uh, like a, Danny built a, a desk, like a built-in desk that, that spans. <laughs> of course you did. Right. Of right, course you right. did. It spans an entire wall. And then. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and, and then we, we, we like 
thought, you know, we're using that room. We put a couch in there. So it was kind of like a place where they could, you know, read and sit. And then over time, we're like, you know, they started, they both migrated to their desks in their rooms and, you know, cause things, things changed and moved yeah. a lot. Right. So, so then we, they kind of vacated the space and we, I, I, um, I convinced Annie. I was like, you know what would be, what would be good is let's, why don't we put another TV here? So the kids, like we, we get a little, uh, concern. My, so we, we give the kids free reign on things that they can watch. Right. Um, and, and so we don't, we don't put parental controls and for better or for worse on YouTube or, or whatever. And, but we kind of want it sometimes to be in earshot. So we're like, that's inappropriate. You shouldn't be watching that. <laughs> and it, but, but we want them to have that, freedom to like explore this so we can set those boundaries i guess i don't know if that if that makes makes sense or if it's good parenting or 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 what um but we we so we put this this second tv in this like in this dining room which is not right next to our living room it 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 is maybe 10 feet away so you don't have a lot of competing noise between the two but where i'm going with this is now we're in a situation where Sam and I might watch something together and Danny and Jack are watching something together in these two, two separate rooms. We're, there are lots of times where we're all watching things. There are lots of times where it's me and the kids and that's Marvel stuff. Um, and then every once in a while, like the, the dining room has become my sports viewing place. So I, I've not recently gone through, I got, I, I got really into Wimbledon this year, Don, for the first time in like 20 years. I wow. watched, yeah, I watched almost the entire Euro soccer tournament. Um, and, and it's, it, my, my thirst for sports has been like kind of fed by having this other, you know, nice TV and couch that I can kind of have still be part of the family, but watch stuff there. Um, you know, I watched, I, I, the, I got up this morning and watched like, uh, you know, drank, drank my coffee, read some, some news and watched like an hour and a half of golf. Because the 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 open is on, as they say, it's the British Open. But the but the British uh, the British Open people don't refer to it as the British Open. That's very American. It is the Open. Um, so anyway, all of that that to to say we we the three of us, me and, and the two kids, we are very heavily into the MCU. I almost think. And this is, it's going to be kind of like blasphemy for my whole life. I think I enjoy Marvel more than I enjoy Star Wars. Like, like it is more complicated. There's more stuff going on. I don't understand it as much. Like, like there, and, and in fact, this, I think I tweeted to you guys or not tweeted, texted to you guys last night. Like I needed Sam, my 10 year old to explain <laughs> what happened at the end of Loki. Like I, I was like, what? And, and of course he's watched 15 YouTube videos that are explainers. Ah, so mm-hmm. he knows, and he's got like, he's reading comics. He's watching other things. Ta- he's reading things online about people saying, here's what we think is happening. Like he is fully into the the consumption of this media in a, in a different way than, than I, I am, which is great because he's now my filter. And I'm like, just tell me what happened. What, like, what, mm-hmm. but, it, but it is, it, I, I really like, we, I, I enjoyed Loki a lot. I, I, and, and I enjoyed WandaVision. I thought was just, it kind of blew my mind. Cause it wasn't, I didn't know what to expect. And I love how there are different voices telling these Marvel stories, just like the comic books, right? Like these things are all linked, but you have different authors and different, you know, different writers mm-hmm. that, yep. that are telling different stories, but they're all, you know, th- there's all some sort of a common 
thread and and it it is it I, I realized that last night in watching this how much I enjoyed it and then we turned on um agents of shield which is what was a it, it's also part of the Marvel Cinematic uh, Universe, but it was on ABC. I don't know if, I think it's still on, but there's seven seasons and it's network seasons, right? So it's like 22 episodes. So so we, after finishing Loki last night, we're like, well, why don't we try this? We've got, now we, we have maybe another 200 hours of viewing that are Marvel related. And we got into that too. Like it's, mm. it, it, so what what I like about it, what, what I really like about it, and this is gonna sound all like, um, you know, emotional. I like that my kids love it so much. And I, mm. and, and I have turned the corner. Like I kind of didn't like it until, until mm. really they got into it. And I was like, Oh, there is a lot here. There's a lot. And it's cool. So we, yeah. Anyway, we, we watched um, black widow that came out um, on Disney plus, but you had to pay 30 bucks for it last week. And um, yeah. So, so anyway, I, I, that, I don't know how to end this rant other than mm-hmm. I have, I've really enjoyed the family time related to Marvel over the last mm-hmm. year and, yeah. and more than, than my experience growing up with star Wars. Oh, interesting. Well, yeah. that's good. That's good. Yeah. It's been, it's been really, it's been cool. So it's, it's fun to, to text back and forth with Michelle. Cause she's, she's experiencing this in a different way. Um, but also is like, you know, catching up and going through things and it, it is, they, they, I've found, um, in a way that I, I, I didn't have before with a lot of movies, I'll rewatch a movie with, with one of the kids that we've watched, you know, Iron Man two or guardians of the galaxy. Um, and, and mainly because I, there's so many of them and I forget everything that happens. And then there's these like little Easter eggs that are now linked to four other movies that I, that I missed. But of course Sam knows about and is like, look, this is happening and it's the same thing that's happening in this other movie. And, and these things are all linked. So it's, yeah, it, I don't know. So it's been a weird experience, um, you know, jumping into them, but I love, I, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, but yeah, Wimbledon, soccer. I was gonna, I, you know, I, you know, I make notes to tell you about things. Um, <laughs> well, I, I, I put, I put stuff, I put stuff in the Dropbox, um, and and there's a lot, there's a lot in there. Um, but I will just before we completely close out the media, um, I we're very excited. So last night we started on series three, which is the final series of a show called Jack Irish. Uh, which is an Australian television drama starring Guy Pearce. Um, and it's quite, it's quite good and quite gritty and right, right in our wheelhouse. And uh, yeah, so watch the first, first episode of that. There's, there's not, because it's, it's Australian, so there's not too many episodes in this. Yeah, six episodes in the series. So we just started that last night. So very excited to, oops, no, that's not right. Six in the, six in the first one. Anyway, uh, but very excited to uh, watch, uh, watch that. Excellent. You are the second person to tell me about Jack Irish this week. Ah, yeah. So that, that, that and now that's a, um, as, as, uh, one of my friends, um, a, a guy, I don't think I've ever mentioned him on the show. Um, a, a guy that I, uh, um, used to golf with and play hockey with in, in Guelph, who's, uh, friends of, of, uh, Doug's and, and Gord Surgeoners. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name is Jeff Sheik. He would always, uh, as we were golfing, he would say, uh, with those two points, we can draw a line through it. Now it's a trend. <laughs> he was a, he was a math guy. And, uh, so, so now I've got two Jack Irish points. Yeah. It's a trend. I, it's yeah. a trend. Um, 
All right. Speaking of trends, the other mm. non-food safety thing that I was, that I wanted to tell you about was we. So I've I've been on this like meal tracking calorie oh, yeah. tracking kit thing. Um, I you, you I texted you. Uh, a while back about getting a, a smart scale, an, an, an e-scale. Mm-hmm. So I so I got mm-hmm. a, an app that shows me daily feedback on, on my weight, but not just my weight, all this other stuff like body fat percentage and body water or what else, skeletal muscle. I never never thought about skeletal muscle before. Um, but it's been the, you know, it, it what has been really good for me is just getting daily feedback. Not, not just like, you know, every once in a while kind of stepping on a scale and being like, Ooh, or, Oh, um, but, but on a, like seeing those, you know, uh, drawing lines, drawing lines through dots on a, on a, on a, on a plot, uh, and seeing trends, it's been, it's been good, but I never really, I don't know. I just never jumped into it before. Um, and so, yeah, so I've been, I I'm now somewhat, like obsessively or religiously tracking. I even bought a scale, so I'm weighing out how much food I'm eating, um, and not you know down to ounces. So I'm trying to you know track that as much as possible. It has been very positive. It's it's gone in a in a good trend uh, line. Um, but but I I found like I'm I'm now all in. I told I think I told you in a text I have not had a now I've had well not I, I've had one diet coke in the last month. And, uh, so I've, I've sort of dropped soda. I'm eat, drinking a lot of fizzy water, trying to be very healthy. Um, so, but anyway, I wanted to, wanted to share the, the, the importance of, um, tracking stuff for me. And I, and I think I, I think I've taken that from you because you're, that's, that's one of the things that you've always kind of, kind of talked about is, is just having, having data and looking at it. And it's, it, it is both motivational and helpful, um, to, to see, okay, what am I, you know, how, how well am I doing here? So, yeah. And I, and I'll say too, I, I owe a lot to Mike Batts who first got me started a number of years ago using, uh, doing calorie counting. Cause he had dropped a bunch of weight at an, at an, and when I saw him at an IAFP meeting, I also, <clears throat> Was able to count calories and uh, and again get got got a scale and lost weight. Um, I'm about I've regained about half of it and, and holding constant. And I have since for a while now have not been counting calories, um, but I still do weigh myself every day. But it they pretty much is just it's it's a, it's it's a it's a flat line. <laughs> doesn't go doesn't really go up. Doesn't go down. Some if it does go any direction, it goes up. So, but it's it's fine. I'm I, it's just not a not a priority for me now. But I would I would like to get back into it. Uh, but but yeah. But I'm I'm glad I'm glad that you're well. And you kind of had a little bit of a uh, I want to say a health scare, but you had a little bit of a wake up call that maybe you needed to change some things up. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, so, so that's, yeah, it's been, it's been good. And I feel, I feel more in control by having the, the data. Well, if, if, you know, if, if that makes sense, like, like I, Oh yeah. You know, I, it's, I'm not guessing at it. I'm not like sort of, um, feeling my way through how, what, you know, Oh yeah, I feel healthier. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing this. I'm not, but without tracking it, it's really hard to, to, to step back and look at it over time. Even with my, you know, I've used my, my Apple watch a lot, um, for that. Um, but, 
but it also, you know, for at least for tracking fitness, but now I'm like, I'm using another, um, another app called Strava. That's like a community of people that you're sharing Mm -hmm. your fitness with. And so there's a bunch of people that I know through hockey and other parents that are all Straving and and everyone cheers and all that kind of stuff. So it's more, I don't know. There, there is something about tracking sharing that has accountability and, and it, and it's just like what we talk about with writing buddies, right? Like setting a goal and then being able to, you, you gotta, you gotta write it down, um, to, 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 and then really think about why or why not you're hitting your goals and, and being sort of truthful to your, to yourself. So this has helped like, and it's kind of all this stuff around, right? Like it's, it, it, it's not just the weight, but it's the, you know, tracking inputs, tracking my, 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 um, exercise outputs and, and then just, just putting it all in one place. So. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say too, I've not played around with Strava, but when I, and I, I still do dutifully, uh, log my steps and, and aim for, to hit my, you know, 10,000, uh, step target every day. And, oh, I can report too. I've, the pandemic has been very good for that. So I've got, let's see here. I've got, I can tell you that today I have 7,000, but I have, uh, 487 days in a row uh, that I have hit my uh, hit my step target uh, thanks uh, to the pandemic and so and to and to pedometer plus plus which is a which is a great uh, step tracking app but then but for but before I <clears throat> sort of went all in on on Apple I did have a Fitbit uh, and then lost my Fitbit at some point in <laughs> when I was in Brazil um, and that but it still kept the Fitbit app on my phone because that has a social component and then finally just decided it was just was just I, I just really I mean it was motivating to see who was walking and who wasn't and then but it eventually it's like yeah, I'm, I mostly just care about how I, I, I'm doing and, and sort of dropped out of the the uh, the social aspect of that but if it was if it was easy to do on on uh, Apple products I would definitely do it mm-hmm. uh all right, so I want to. I know we have a lot in in the doc um, here. It's not a doc, the we Dropbox do. uh, Dropbox thing. Um, but I want to. I want to start with something that I texted you that I don't think I put in there. Um, and this is not a not a sponsor to the show, but it's a product that I've that I've really learned to love. Um, I got a couple of meters. Very clever name, meter.com is where you'll find this. These are wireless uh, Bluetooth thermometers that you can put into, they're like rechargeable. Um, You can put them into big pieces of meat, but I wanted to tell you about them because I was, I, I got these. I, well, one, one thing I wanted to to ask you about, and we, we could talk about it off offline or, or online, but I think that there's space somewhere for us to do like, food safety product reviews like this to actually like get some of these things and be like, here's why this is good for food safety and here's why it should be better. And here are some of the the drawbacks. And we do some of this, like every once in a while, something rolls in on risky or not. um, That is about a specific product. But I wonder if there's like another, there's another podcast space for us to do this. So, so I want to, I'm going to plant that with you and we can talk about that later, but I, it, similarly to our Ember coffee mugs that we that someone asked us a question about, like keeping food hot for a long, long time, hot holding. What what is it like? I I went out and got these a couple of these meters, and I've been cooking. I, I uh, did a pork shoulder in my in my smoker, and then I I did I've, multiple times now. I've done um, a, a couple of uh, whole chickens, 
And it is like it's a really cool piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. So so what and and you do you have do you have something do you like I know you have some sort of is um like eye thermometer or like an old yeah. version of this? Yeah. yeah. Is it wireless? So, um so yeah, and it it is it used to sit in a drawer a drawer in our old house. I'm not real it's probably in a box somewhere in our new house. It never was fantastic. It was always it was easier to just to use the thermal pen and get something out. I mean, this was nice if we were cooking steaks, which we honestly don't cook all that often if we were doing steaks on the grill. Um, I suspect that this might be something we will get back into once we kind of get things under control here in the in the new house. Um, but yes, it was it was. Was it Bluetooth? It was the the probe was wired to the meter, and then the meter was Bluetooth to the phone, right? And so you could watch on your phone. You could you could, but it wasn't. It was the interface was not great. The it, it was it was always a little bit inscrutable to get it set up and to get it synced and everything. And so that's part of the reason why it's just sat in a drawer. And then also part of the thing is we just don't just don't cook all that many. You know, we're not just we don't grill. Like I'm not out there with the with the smoker, right? Right. Not, we don't just don't don't grill that much meat. But again, it would be the kind of thing that, yeah, at some point we may come come back around to it. But at this point, it's not it's not a thing that we're doing. Did it? So I just dropped some two pictures into the, um, into the Dropbox. One of them is kind of like what it looks like on my phone or iPad when it. When I, mm-hmm. which is which is cool i think i texted you that the second one is like a data logger that shows both the ambient temperature and the internal temperature of the mm-hmm. of the meat and this has been the most fascinating part to me um so so my my the smoker that i use i've, I've done this on a grill so here's the like here, here's the good things about it it gives me tons of data and i can set it up where I can leave an iPad outside and the, it goes Bluetooth from the probes to the iPad and then the iPad uploads stuff in real time to the to the cloud. And then I on my phone, I get alerts. So I don't have to be right beside the grill all the time. I can check. In fact, when I uh, did a pork shoulder a couple of uh, weeks ago, um, I took Jack to somewhere and Danny was still at home. And I got an alert that the ambient temperature had dropped below what I wanted it. And I was like, could you just throw like a piece of wood on the smoker? Right. And it was like, whoa, that functionality was really, really cool. But here's here's the food safety part that is um, here's the drawback. I want this to Mm -hmm. be like perfect. And it's it's not quite perfect because what the what the meter needs is. And, and it's maybe not clear on the website, but about the, I don't know where the sensor is in this, but there is a line about halfway down the meter that says you must stick this into the meat at least this far. So, so it, it's, it's like, you got to put, you got to find a piece of meat that's two inches big. Ah, uh, right. And, right. and so for steak, that's really hard, right? Like, so now all of a sudden I'm sliding it in from the side, which is what it right. suggested you do. Right. But. Now, what, I, what I've had to do is rest these because the probes also can't touch the grill itself because the grill yep. gets like to like 600 degrees. Right. So so now you, you've got a problem. Like I, I think the limits, like it, it doesn't want to be above 575. 
I don't want it to to like explode or do or you know whatever happens because I think it's a lithium battery in there. So, mm. so oh, that, yeah. it's probably not good um, to no. have that at like 800 degrees. So now no. I've got to like put two pieces of steak next to each other and pull the meter up yep. so it's resting yep. on the steak and it's not getting the truth. Like all of that, it's not suitable for a piece of steak. It's great for a really big piece of meat. Right. Um, and and it did. What was cool, you'll see in, in one of the, the, the pictures. I don't know if we can um I, I don't know if we can put this in the show notes. I'll figure it maybe I th- I think we yeah. can. Yeah, we can just put it put an image in the show notes. Yeah. Well, I, I can I can help you do it in, in Squarespace if you don't I'll figure it out. Yeah, I'm okay. sure I can. So so the one that you'll see in, in the show notes that um is a whole chicken that I did the the other day, um <laughs> on July thirteenth, it it asked me how I wanted to cook it. Like what temperature internally did I want to get it to? So the target was 165. It gave there. You can see there's a little check mark that says USDA. Yeah. And how that came up was you tell me what you want, and here are USDA recommended safety temperatures, that which was also really cool. So so it it, it said medium well, right? So that's you know my my chicken. I set it for 165. It says oh it's between 163 and 167, which is medium well for whole chicken, but it's also what USDA suggests for for safety. So I think there's like another. There's an ability to get more food safety information into this. Like, like meter is doing a, a, a good job. It's it's certainly better. Like, I can't use it with hamburgers. That that's for me the problem. It's too. It's not. I don't think it's tip sensitive. So I don't know right. where the temperature is. Like what it's telling me. Right. I did right. audit this with the um with, with you know multiple different thermometers. My Comark mm-hmm. PDT three hundred. Mm-hmm. I have a Testo mm-hmm. now. Um, I've got a, um, a, a, a thermopen. So, so I, I was really comfortable the first couple of times I did this saying, Oh, you know what, what, where this is telling me what it, what, what like what it should be, uh, right. or what I'm, what I'm expecting. But I, but what I really liked was now I know after doing this three times for whole chickens that on my smoker, if I get my ambient temperature, um, and you, you can see like it, if my goal is to get the ambient temperature up around um, like 280, if I get it to 280, it's going to take me three hours or uh, two and a half hours, sorry, to, to cook these chickens, which is I, I never tracked that data before. It's kind of it's like the same thing with with like calories and food and, and meat. I was making things sort of guessing, knowing like not really knowing. But now I, I actually have history of all the stuff I've made with this. And I can get, I, I can plan so much better if I can manage the heat the way that I want it to. I know about how long it's going to take to get to 165 now. Yeah, and it looks like from the cook summary, the uh, there is a relationship between the uh, the the peak temperature and the and the ambient temperature. Yes, the, the, there's a relationship between the internal temperature and the ambient temperature, and it tracks it tracks pretty closely. It looks like you know it's uh, it stays the same number of degrees apart. It's 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 the the axis is a little bit wonky, but um, but like there's three or four squares, whatever a square turns out to be. Uh, a square is uh, like the 30. distance of a square is is thirty uh, sixty four minus thirty seven, whatever that is. Yeah. Yeah, 20, 20, 20 something, twenty five. Yeah, so no. yeah, so so it's roughly a hundred. No, it's roughly it's about 
Yeah, so it looks like yeah, it's like about sixty or seventy degrees different. Yeah, uh, but and, and it, it does track it pretty closely, and you can see there's at some point in your curve, it looks like you probably what you needed to throw some more wood on, right? Is that why it? I yeah, so the the temperature dropped. I needed more charcoal on this charcoal. On this one. Yeah, yep, and it and so I had to restart some charcoal, so it dropped. I opened up the lid to put that on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> but it's really. Um, I'll, I'll show you another one that was mu- that was a longer cook for the. Um, one second for for the pork shoulder and this one was you'll see a lot of variability in the temperature because i was charcoal what i've learned and again this is like i'm new to this world of like using a smoker using a charcoal grill um there is um the the charcoal in this situation provides a much uh more stable temperature a wood burns versus wood Yeah. yeah Because you're start wood catches, burns hot, and then burns out and drops down, and you're constantly going up, up and down. So you'll hang on, you'll see this in, in yeah. one second. So, so and do, can you can you use a combination of charcoal wood? Okay. Yes, and 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 you can use a combination of, um, and, and I'll I'll link to the to the griller that I or the 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 smoker that I have because I I did some research last year on on this. Well, I took time. You'll love this. I did some research by watching a masterclass um, on masterclass uh, from uh, from this guy uh, Aaron Franklin, and he's from Franklin Barbecue in in Austin. And so I watched a, the and again this was like a pandemic thing last year. Sam and I got really into masterclass, and we we like you know cook i like i like cooking i like you know experimenting i really we like barbecue so i was like let me try let me actually try and make some of this and yeah yeah so he and i watched this he we followed all the steps i bought um uh uh let me see if i can find the um the model i think it's called a real pro yeah, and so this. So let me just talk about this. The cook summary that you sent for your your pork, um, which the temperature that you cooked your pork to is quote unquote pulled. Apparently, yes. that is the temperature. Um, and and yeah, it's a much different graph than the one before. That you've got this green ambient line, which which jumps up and down, but it looks like it stays right around two two ninety one, uh, you know, two ninety two, whatever it takes. And um, and then you see the the pork temperature come up uh, slowly. Um, and in sort of an asymptotic fashion, as you would expect, uh, to that target of 203 and then uh, hits 205 as a peak. And then obviously you took it off the grill and so the temperature went down. So, yeah, this is, you know, I think more data are, are you know, are, are always better. Right. And that and this gives you again, it lets you refine your refine your technique. You know, the other thing, too, it occurs to me is that you should probably talk to friend of the. Uh, ours in real life and and uh, a friend of uh, perhaps listener uh, Wendy Wade White uh, Todd White uh, or T White as I believe he's called um, because he is a, an engineer um, not a food engineer but an engineer and he's super into uh, barbecues and and cooking and stuff like that and eating and and all that good stuff and so have you talked to Todd at all about this because I, I got to imagine he's into this technology too yeah no I I haven't yet and and this is like this is one of those things you know. Um, we we hang out with Todd White, uh, uh, you know, once once a year, and we didn't do it last year. So I'm I'm looking forward ah, to yeah. Mm-hmm. So because this is this is all this is all relatively new to me. Like this is not some yeah, over the last year is when I've gotten into this, but I, but I I played a lot with it over the last year, and now I feel like this this Bluetooth 
meter probe is giving me a much more dialed in piece of information to get better at it. Like, like the, yeah. that, that piece, you know, I, I, I was especially the, the, and this is the, I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll certainly, I'm going to see Todd, uh, in maybe tomorrow. Um, but, um, one thing on that last one, I sent you the, the pulled pork two Oh, 200 to two Oh five. Yeah. Um, I was, it was taking me like 11 hours maybe to do the, I've, I've done eight or 10 of these uh, pulled porks over the last year, or as it's known here, barbecue um, and, or a pork, a pork shoulder. Uh, and, and I, the, the variability of the ambient temperature that the probe is showing is way different than the variability of the ambient temperature that the little dial on my, oh. Yeah, uh, smoker is showing. Yeah, of course, and, of course, because because of they're different technologies, right? Right, and they're in, and it, and it is like the the uh, you know talking to Todd is really a, g- a good idea. It, it, it is there. It, it's a different part of the smoker. Like what's happening right. above, right above the um, the piece of meat is that there, there's a vent on the or um, a damper, I guess, that's on the smoke box that you can control and open that allows oxygen in. And then there's a chimney. And what the really what the technology of the smoker is, is that damper opening uh, with the heat is going to pull a vacuum. So so all of the heat drags across and out the chimney. And so you, you cook on that furthest wall from the from the damper in the smoke box. Um, for, for something like this, like that's the, that, that's what you're, that's what you're supposed to do according to Aaron Franklin in his masterclass. Um, but the, the temp like the, the dial that's on my smoker is not there that shows me the, you know, like the, um, I guess it's like a bimetallic thermometer that's telling me the air temperature, but at the like wall front of the wall of the smoker barrel, not where the meat is. So now I actually have another, a much more, cons- um, uh, precise data point where this where these probes are. I actually used two on on the um, uh, on this uh, pork shoulder. I only sent you a picture of one, but it it's telling me about the ambient temperature right above where the piece of meat is, and so I'm controlling the heat based on that now, not based on what the what my um, thermometer on the smoker unit is telling me. And, well, uh, and I'm sure that that thermometer on the smoker unit is like a bimetallic yeah. coil, right? And totally. so it's going to react very slowly, which is good. You don't want you don't want that temperature like jumping all around, right? I'm, I'm imagining, but at the same time, yeah, I don't. Maybe you do want that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. So what? So so with this with this cook summary for the your pork, what? Are you what? So are you are you doing? Are you taking actions as causing that green line to jump up and I, jump down? I am. Yeah, that's every time. Okay. So so as you see, the green line. My 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 goal was to have this sit at about three hundred and three hundred and five Fahrenheit. So you right. see two ninety one. Right. Anytime it dropped below two ninety, I got an alert on my phone. Go do something. Ah. Yeah. So, so, so the, oh, so you're not standing there this whole no. time. You're just like doing other stuff and then you, Oh, I got an alert. Let me go take care of that. Yeah. Is that like got it. that? And, and so it, it kind of made things more instead of standing there and like looking just on the outside thermometer all the time. Now, all of a sudden I'm getting like a little notification on my phone. Hey, the ambient temperature is dropping below 291. Go open up the damper, right. To let more oxygen yep. in or yep. 
take a look at, at what's in there from the wood or charcoal standpoint and add more of that in. So you see those peaks are me adding something in and then it drops down again over time. And maybe I didn't get like one of these valleys on this probably, you know, one was I, I got an alert and I was out and I was like, Danny, can you throw the more wood on? She did, yeah. but it wasn't right away. Um, right. So, so yeah, my, and, and again, like the Jeff Sheik, lots of lines. Let's see the trend. My, I trended pretty like the, you know, the line of best fit is right around, I think, 310. It was a little hotter than I wanted, but there were a lot of peaks and valleys. And um, the you know, and you'll see in the cook summary, there's a val there's a valley on the ambient as well. Or not the ambient on the internal temperature. Yep. The and that's when I took it off to wrap it. Ah, okay. Yeah. Which was also which but the interesting part there is if you look, so I sent you two. And well, again, this is, you know, ho, ho, we'll we'll get all these pictures up so people can see them. Um, on one of the one of the probes, these are both in the same piece of pork, and it was about nine pounds. So if I don't know if that helps visualize this, but one of them, the internal temperature dropped quite a bit when I wrapped it, and mm -hmm. the second internal, oh, did, yeah, right, like that. Yeah. So I thought that was fascinating too. Um, so and, and and then there's you know, but but it was because I was monitoring this and could get more precise times on when to add more wood this took about two hours off my total cook time um because i wasn't getting the big swings because i wasn't like oh wow were, yeah i wasn't really like i think on my uh, on the previous ones that i did i was letting it i didn't know like I, I would walk back every 20 minutes and like all of a sudden oh gosh it's at like 20 you know 208 or two you know 215. I need, but now I'm getting an alert that says, okay, if it's below 290, go ahead and put something on. Interesting. And so, so you're saying, so this looks like this almost took nine hours. You're saying previously it would have taken 11. Yeah. 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 10 and a half, 11 hours. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, cool. it being more precise helped, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I, my one note for the developer is, you know, please let me specify the units for the X and Y axis, right? Yes. Yes. Um, don't 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 be smart and figure it out for me or if that's fine figure it out for me uh, unless I tell you that I want you to use these this scale right well yeah and and what was kind of crazy on this is like I gave you the two cook summaries for the two different thermometers they they have different axes oh yeah that's that's my that's yeah. my beef yeah yeah um so anyway uh but yeah so that was the, so so like this I think there's lots of value I liked cooking with this. There's, oh, yeah. some, there's something here. It, it helped me. There's some interesting food safety stuff, but it's not, they kind of talk about it on their website of like, you know, they show steak. I have trouble cooking steak with this. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it's better for big pieces of meat. I'm, I'll try and do like prime rib or something, you know, something large that I can get it into, but. Yeah, but it's cool. Yeah, and I, and I would say this would not be for me because mostly we would be cooking steak, yep. right, or, or burgers or something. And so, yeah, it seems like they almost need, like, a, an additional bit of kit, which I'm sure they could sell you, which would be like a thermometer rest, like an insulated thermometer rest where you could – so you could put the thermometer in from the side, but then also put something that would that would keep the thermometer off the grill, right – but yet, and would let the probe stay in place, but they would somehow like let it not heat up, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. That's a great, I mean, that's a great idea. All they have is a block that has a little cloud thing on it, which I don't have. I just have the one that goes to the to my iPad. 
Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's it, it, it's been fun to like play with this a little bit and then think about it like if someone asks like is this a good technology from a food safety standpoint it's like well kind of depends what you're doing like like this i think this is a really good technology for these big cuts but but i i wouldn't you know i i would st- i'm still using my thermopen comark testo digital tip sensitive thermometer um every time i, I use a burger or i cook a burger or do chicken right. wings right because it, it doesn't right. replace oh. that yeah yeah so anyway. yeah, I, don't, I don't know how you would even do chicken wings i mean that's even tough yeah with a with a, a tip sensitive digital thermometer right yeah and i mean i'm just kind of like getting the get trying to get into the media's part and get an idea of what it is yeah yeah um so uh, yeah but anyway there's like yeah i wanted thanks for indulging me in, oh, in yeah. that conversation because this was it was just one that i've been I've been playing around with, and I was like, "Okay, I'm ready now. I'm going to send you a bunch of stuff. I've now used it on a couple of different things." The um, the the other thing that I used it on that I didn't like were chicken skewers for the same reason. It's just like a oh chicken, yeah, you know. So yeah, um, so yeah. All right, cool. Well, let's talk about let's talk about some other stuff. Um, well, so first, let me let me say thank you to all the people that got t-shirts. Um, yeah. We have sold at least fifty t-shirts on Cotton Bureau. And uh, again, because I screwed up and I put in a tiny little bit of profit. Um, so what Cotton Bureau does is they don't send you the profit until you make a hit a milestone. And so we we hit fifty dollars, and so they sent me a check for or they sent me a PayPal for fifty bucks. And so I'm going to um, uh, turn around and, and give that to the foundation. And so thank you for people that bought T-shirts. I am I've been waiting all week. Uh, I've been saving my T-shirt, and so I'm wearing my Food Safety Talk T-shirt today. So and I thanks to all the people that uh, posted. Um, about their t-shirts and on social media and so we could we could like and share those and we'll link in the show notes we will link to the uh, where you can buy the t-shirts I uh, I still need to bug the Cotton Bureau people about the t-shirt for our other podcast um, but I didn't want to I, I figured we'd just let the sales on this one run for a little while um, it, it will be it will they will the t-shirts will remain on sale until they're not on sale and so it is there is no expiry date but at some point I'm gonna pull the plug and say okay well that's that's the that's the 2021 yep. food safety talk t-shirt it's done it's a collector's item and there'll be <laughs> and, there'll be others in the future and there'll be others to come yep. in the future but not that one ever again yeah so. yep totally totally well and um, I, uh, uh, I I will be uh, – this, this is something I'm committing to, Don. This episode will be posted prior to me leaving for IAFB, um, which is tomorrow morning. So this will go up in, in somewhat real time today. And um, so if someone is listening to this, I have uh, a handful of um, both Food Safety Talk and Risky or Not t-shirts that I'm taking with me. So hit me up because I'll give you a t-shirt. Um, I've got them in, in assorted sizes. So, and if you don't see me at IAFP, um, go to the Cotton Bureau and buy some and all the, those uh, extra dollars that, that come in, go to the foundation. Can I take, can, can we make a comically big check for us to make this <laughs> donation at the, at the foundation? Can I, I don't know well, if there's enough sadly, time for me to do sadly, that. Sadly, the business meeting has already been pre-recorded, um, <laughs> and there was only one uh, humorous uh, event, which was a sketch by the uh, Zoom sketch by the Florida affiliate. Of course, um, talking about what they were going to do, and so I don't know if that's been posted yet. But I was uh, David asked me to be the parliamentarian, so I was the parliamentarian for a meeting. 
meeting that was pre-recorded, which is a little bit weird. Uh, but I did dutifully watch the the recording, and I reported to Dave that I David that it was fine, and I did not see any violations of parliamentary procedure. I don't know what I would have done if there had been, um, but uh, anyway, so that's uh, that's a that's a thing that uh, people can look for on the internet. But but uh, yeah, no no uh, no opportunity for a comically big check unless we want to make and produce our own uh, video. And then post it ourselves and, and not have anybody see it except the new people that listen to this podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. Well, maybe I'll, maybe what I'll do is take a, a, an eight and a half by 11. Is that the right, whatever, not, not an A4 uh, piece of paper the, right. for our, uh, our European or British friends, but I'll, I'll take, I'll take something and I'll just write, um, here's $50 coming to you, IAFP Foundation. I'll give it to someone at the booth, like an IOU. At the yeah, yeah. Well, you you could print out this. Uh, you could print out this uh, yeah. this uh, little PDF that's in the in the in the in the Dropbox uh, saying Cotton Bureau has sent Don Shaffer fifty bucks. Just print that out and say, hey, he, Don's going to send this to you. I'm I, I'm all over it. This is this is good. All right, cool. So yeah, that's coming up. People will hear about it. If you if you happen to see me at IFP, I'm going to have some some T-shirts. So so come hit me up and I'll I'll give you some. I have been wearing mine when I go to places like the grocery store or to Home Depot on a date with, with Danny. And and I'm doing this, Don, with the ever hope that someone who I don't know says, Are you is it are you from that show? Like that's my that's my goal here. That's my like little in the back of my mind, I want someone to be like Food safety talk. It's it, it, it's complicated and it depends. I I know your show and here you are at Harris Teeter or Food Line, and and so I don't I th- I know that's a weird that's a weird situation, but but I've I've been doing that and it's very comfortable. They're very comfortable shirts. They're very comfortable shirts. Um, to always I always go with the tri blend. So tell me now the the ones that you are going to be giving away. Did you did you order those from uh from Cotton Bureau? I did not. We ordered these separately from. Whoever, where, where we, where, when Mary designed it, we we put oh, an order right. in there because I needed to get a bunch before the end of the fiscal year. Right. <laughs> yes. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah, they're. Um, but so, but they were. I we ordered them before the Cotton Bureau stuff was up. But right, right, because yeah, because because the Cotton Bureau, we had to wait for them to approve it. So, yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 Uh, so yeah, so those are, so I've got, I, and I have a few, so, um, so there's, there's a few folks who listen to this show who I promised, uh, to have, uh, to send some presents to. And, uh, and those have, those are, those have gone out. So the, you know, they're, they're on their way. Hey, the, the t-shirts that those, those are the presents. Yeah. So thanks for the, for the cool people buying t-shirts. That's pretty awesome. Um, there's some you want to do some feedback and then talk about steak tartare. There's, yes, we got a lot of stuff in here. Yeah, we got a, a lot of feedback that I would like to at least at least touch on everything that's that's feedback pretty quickly here. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about um. Let's do. Um. Oh, do you want to talk about the frozen? Uh, frozen vegetable feedback. We we have something. So this so we did a um, a risky or not uh, episode that I think is probably posted. Right? Yes, it has on um, microwaving frozen yep. vegetables. And then we yep. got we got some feedback. Um, 
about um, we we made some assumptions in the and this came to us from uh, listener Scott. So um, the 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 question was about uh, microwaving single portion frozen green peas, frozen whole kernel uh, whole kernel corn, cut green beans. Usual practice is to pour the vegetables in a bowl, add more than enough water to cover, and then use a plate as a lid. Microwave for three minutes and then drain the water. And so. Um, the, the question, we made some assumptions about covering with the water and lid. And so Scott followed up and said, the spouse also covers with water and a lid. The child is eight years old and the microwave mm-hmm. is 1300 Watts. Mm-hmm. We used to run it at 80% power during, due to an electrical wiring issue. As a few weeks ago, <laughs> the microwave is on its own circuit and we can use full power. I have a thermometer, but I'm not sure I'll be able to run a covert experiment comparing the techniques at any time soon. I rarely get the house to myself since the pandemic. Certainly, I'll never. I'll let you know if I ever succeed. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, thanks to Scott. We, as we've mentioned on this show, we have yeah, we we have this uh, companion show, Risky or Not, where we don't do follow up. So, all of our follow up for Risky or Not happens here. Um, so, so anyway, thanks. I do you know? Have you? We we talked about your like our microwaves. Uh, do do you know in your new house what your microwave wattage is? So here's the interesting thing. So the microwave that used to be in the kitchen is gone. Okay, it was an over it was us over the range microwave. I'm assuming it was like full, you know, whatever the full one is. Um, We because we don't have a kitchen right now, as has been an ongoing saga. Oh, I'm I'm pleased to report uh, that uh, we don't have a kitchen yet, but we do have hardwood floors throughout the first floor of the house in the kitchen and in the living room, dining room area. Oh, that's really nice. There's nothing there right now, but it looks gorgeous. So I'll, I'll send you some pictures later uh, of how nice it looks. And, um, but, but again, kitchen cabinets are coming next week. So, uh, cabinet install starts next week. Um, we have a microwave that is uh, in actually in the room next to me in Kristen's office, which is our one of our satellite kitchen locations. We have three sort of locations where we're cooking stuff. We have the back deck, uh, we have Kit, Chris, Kristen's office, and we have the um, the the sunroom. Uh, sunroom is where we make coffee. Oh, and the refrigerator is in the in the living room on some tile that is not part of the wood, so we didn't have to move that. So so four four locations like four locations where we, we have our kitchen currently. I don't know the wattage of the microwave oven. Um, I do know that it is on a circuit with a toaster oven um, and you cannot run them both at the same time where ah. you would blow that circuit. But, um, and if you want, I can go, I can run next door and, and look real quick and see what it is. But I, my sense is it's not a, it's, it's sort of an intermediate wattage. It's not like a dorm style, but it's probably not the full wattage either. And, and so, and, and I've, you know, again, it's just sort of like we just sort of adjusted our cooking uh, parameters to for to, to see if it works. Nice. Well, so I, you know, one of the things on on this is um, we also just re- reinstalled or we, we had a microwave above our um, stove that that died uh, over the last year, and then I we purchased another one and I reinstalled it, and the wattage went from I think we had like a thousand watt one, so it was mm-hmm. sm- like it was an older Smaller. one, yeah, yeah, and now we have a fifteen hundred watt microwave, and it is like burns popcorn if you like don't if you follow the popcorn directions, like ah, uh, yep, yeah, yep. so you kind of have to like do your own thing. You gotta, it's you gotta, you need a popcorn hack. Um, yeah. the, so, so we're, yeah, I'm, that, that's the only thing I'm, I'm experiencing in the world of, uh, of microwaves, uh, right now. But I did have a friend who I know on Facebook who had a terrible situation happen where they're above, 
um, um, uh, oven or stovetop microwave just gave out and fell onto their glass stovetop um, oven. Oh so, God. so they have, so now they have a new microwave and a new oven. Yeah. Like it all shattered. It was, it was just like wow. a terrible situation. And Jesus, that, that sounds horrible. It sounds horrible. Also, when I installed my microwave, these things are heavy and I like Danny and I did it. And I I'm, was like, that's a real concern. Like now all of a sudden someone is living, you know, I'm the one who put this up. Someone's living that it gave out. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. You know, I, I well, I'm. I'm really glad that a contractor is going to install ours. And and in fact, it was funny. So Kristen went and purchased it. Um, and then somebody from the store uh, loaded it into the car. And I was later on, it was in the, the garage. And I'm, I was like, this is really heavy. How did you get this from the car to the garage? And it's like, well, I almost didn't. <laughs> oh. But uh, yeah, so oh, and then speaking of humorous appliance stores stories, so we the 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 dishwasher, uh, which we're going to have, uh, which is the you know part of the nominal reason for redoing the kitchen is the old kitchen didn't have a dishwasher. Um, the guy that brought the dishwasher that's also in the garage now. The guy that brought the dishwasher got it off the truck and had it on his shoulder and was walking towards the garage expecting his buddy on the truck to help him. And he kind of gets to the garage and he looks at me with this like pained look and he says, can you help me lower this down? <laughs> so uh, unfortunately we did not drop that either. I think he was, he was pretty upset with his, his buddy. And then meanwhile, like five minutes later, the guy comes from the truck holding like a little cardboard box saying, Oh, we need this piece too. <laughs> so Jesus, I'm really glad that you guys didn't drop my my dishwasher because no, uh, no, exactly. those are hard to come by apparently during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everything everything's hard to come by. Don, there's a chip crisis. There's <laughs> all, all all that stuff. Um, okay, so switch switching gears. Uh, episode two thirty nine. We talked about the business justifications. Just complaining a little bit about our bureaucratic. Um, uh, machines at universities and, and how I justify, um, you know, my New York times subscri subscription. Cause there's lots of food safety things and I change it up and have fun with it as much as possible as a, as shade to the process. So mm -hmm. we got a piece of feedback from a listener lemon, uh, mm -hmm. and, and lemon writes a bit of follow. I thought this is awesome. A yes. bit of follow up on bureaucratic business justification talk from episode 239. I used to work in public accounting and this sort of information is typically used for either expense classification, marketing, classroom instruction, research, dues and subscriptions, and or as a control to ensure the expenditures are legitimate and not fraudulent. It is not a strong control as the purchaser could simply record a false business justification for personal expenses, but nevertheless, it is part of the overall support for the expense maintained in the accounting records. During a financial statement audit, we would typically examine at least one credit card statement, depending on the size of the organization, and review any business justifications recorded as part of the supporting documents, but are normally looking to see that the expenses were approved by the relevant department heads or accounting manager, unless there's some obvious indication the expense might be illegitimate. Um, so, and, and um, Lemon, Lemon writes, uh, you know, love the show. Also, accounting follow-up probably isn't exciting enough to mention on the show. But in oh, case so it wrong. Yeah, no, it's exactly like it's perfect. Um, this and and I, I mean, you, you and I, it, we, part of the show is is a place where we just get to talk about the things that we want to talk about and put it out there. And this is one of the things that we're we're constantly kind of you know dealing with. But it's cool to hear someone 
thoughtfully listen to what we're talking about and then give us some more information about like the sausage making that's behind it. I, well, I yeah, fantastic. exactly. As, as nerds with a specific area of expertise, I am always happy to hear from other nerds who have a different area of expertise and who can offer a nerdy explanation, right? Like that was a, like a really good, like thoughtful comment. And yeah. so we, we want to, we want to thank uh, lemon lodge. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you lemon for this. Cause this is, um, it's cool. It, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it, yeah, we, I, we appreciate your time taking the time to, to tell us about this. Uh, and, and, and for other, uh, uh, other individuals in the accounting world or formerly in the accounting world, please tell us more nerdy stuff. Cause we, we love it. It's, this is awesome. Um, all right. So we also have some house of prime rib follow-up from a friend of the show, Patrick from DineSafe mm-hmm. from I was poison.com Patrick Quaid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so Patrick writes to us cause we talked about this in episode, I think it was two thirty nine as well. Um, yeah. Cause the, cause the, 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 the show art is prime rib. That's well, so that I'm would be it. Sick. I'm pretty much sure that's it. I yeah. think, I think you're right. Um, so he writes, I was cool to hear your comments on house of prime rib. You mentioned you may talk about it on risky or not. So I wanted to give you an update about the side dishes and dessert chart. The chart was apart from the meat around 99% of restaurant visitors had a cut of meat. So seeing meat was not a differentiator. The chart was designed to see if any commonalities appeared in the sides in case it was not a meat-related issue. However, to my eye, there was no clear signal out of that. We could do analytics of the cut of meat if you thought that might yield something. Other interesting news, we just got three new reports citing eight people. It may be a misattribution, but it is on our radar. So if this number grows and becomes a stronger stronger signal, I'll let you know. The symptoms do appear to be consistent with the prior bout. And so these are really like, I, just to step out of, of this, um, I, I've worked with Patrick over the last four or five years. He, he collaborated with us on, Norovir, on the NeuroCore project. We, we, um, Leanne Jacobs and I still, um, meet with him every month and, and sort of talk about what's happening with Iowa's poison.com and his whole dine safe empire. He's, he's such a, it's such, again, an interesting, similar to, to Bill Marler, someone who's not a, doesn't come traditionally into the world of food safety, right. But has expertise and is, is gathering data that has, um, value and i know he's working with lots of different companies and health departments and he provides a lot of this information for free for public health use it's it's just a fascinating thing to be to like know and see what he's what he's doing and so he it's cool to have him also give us like you know we're not doing the digging for this he's like here's three new house of prime rib things king henry's cut english style cooked medium potatoes cream spinach yorkshire pudding girlfriend who also ate with me didn't get sick chills nausea diarrhea for about 24 hours was not um covid by getting a test that was one i've been going there for 20 years ordered the king henry cut uh, this is the second one Went there uh, for the first time since the pandemic. Next morning, woke up with diarrhea. It's been over 12 hours and I've had stomach pains and diarrhea. Went there July 2nd, Friday at 9 p.m. Uh, experienced diarrhea, woke up uh, feeling unwell, thought it was just IBS, 
friends experienced the same symptoms. We all had cream spinach, but different cuts of meat at different temperatures. Um, and so, so anyway, we, I, the, I, I guess the plot thickens, the gravy thickens. That's, I think that's what we talked a little bit about yeah. here, uh, on that, that it so, certainly seemed like, uh, clisternum perfringens and, uh, but, but there's lots of different foods here, but, uh, house of prime rib, uh, it seems like they're, they're still, uh, still got some stuff going on, but thanks for to Patrick for yes. digging this out. Just, I, I appreciate him being part of our network. Uh, what else should we should we talk about here? Well, let's see. So I do want to. I do want to. This is so. I the, the the title of the file here is uh, listeners are trolling us with uh, feedback. Um, I I think they're getting they're the, the they're just looking for gradually more elaborate and nuanced questions. Okay, so this is from a um, uh, listener uh, who wants to remain anonymous. Uh, our power's been out for 9.5 hours, estimated to return at the 13-hour mark. We opened the fridge and freezer each once super quick to put in some groceries around hour three. I haven't purchased a thermometer and will likely be asleep when the power does return. I figure the freezer will be fine, although I don't love the prospect of fish getting gross in there. But what are some fridge items that are either must trash or will probably be fine if heated and cooked? Um, extra fun. I have OCD and I'm six months pregnant. Hum- stomach has a uh, sorry husband has a stomach of steel from his fraternity days and will probably eat anything. We're both biologists, but rarely agree on food safety habits. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, thank you, thank you for your question. How how am I supposed to answer this? Um, yeah. So, so let me see. So. Uh, Again, and so I sent a message back saying, "Hopefully your power's back on." Uh, first bit of advice: get a thermometer. Right? Um, I did. I did send her a copy of the emergency action plan for retail food establishments, and I also sent her a copy of McConnell and Schaffner, a paper that we got that we wrote in 2014 on uh, uh, salmonella growth in beef that is uh, hamburger that is that is out, out of temperature control. So. Um, so yeah, so it's so, and again, we'll we'll link to McConnell and Schaffner, but um, and and they give sort of different bits of advice. Um, I, I to talk about the freezer food, I think her freezer food is is all going to be fine as long as it's still at refrigeration temperature. Again, she won't know exactly because she doesn't know when the fridge is coming back on. Um, certainly, things in the fridge, yogurt is going to be fine. Um, if she's pregnant, I would stay away from deli meats, but I would stay away from deli meats even if the fridge was okay. Um, and then again, generally heat speak. Uh, generally speaking, heat's going to inactivate vegetative pathogens, but it won't destroy heat stable toxins. Given the short amount of time, I don't know if there's really any, you know, uh, toxin production that's going to be that's going to be of concern. So I, I sort of waffled and didn't really give her, you know, specific advice except to say if you have ideas on questions on specific foods, I'll try to answer them. So did you have any? Do you have any any thoughts beyond what my comments? Yeah. So so this is you know the kind of the time of year that I end up answering a lot of like um, natural disaster, hurricane. Storm kind of questions about power going out, and so this is one that. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Don, I, I somehow mm. just sneezed there. Um, did uh, the you know one that that comes up um you know uh, quite a bit, and I think that based on your papers and then based on tracking a little bit in our 
kitchens with trying to like experiment on turning off refrigerators that are full or half full or, or empty that I think like nine and a half hours um, or, you know, nine and a half at, at the time that she sent it in 13 hours. I think it's, it's going to be fine. I think the, the, the food in there is probably not going to get much above 50 or 55 by that, by that time. Mm. That's that, like that. And again, guess anecdotal with a little bit of work that we don't even have data to like, um, yet, but I did, um, we're, we're actually over the next couple of months going to use, um, a series of data loggers in different types of consumer fridges to, and turn them off. Um, and, and try to better answer this question because it, the, the hard part is exactly what you highlighted and what, and what, um, you know, what listener, did we, did we say who the listener's name is? I think um, they wanted to be anonymous. Oh uh, yeah. The, the deep, deep fridge, um, so, you know, uh, asked about and, and highlighted that, that, um, that they don't have a thermometer. So knowing even at hour nine, what the temperature of the food was is very helpful. So, um, that without that, I think, I, you know, I think it's a bit of a guess, but I think it's, I don't think it's going to be too much of a, of a problem. Again, like you said, the foods that I would worry about for listeria, I would worry about those at, at hour zero at the same, at the same way. I don't think we're going to really get that much increased growth in that, you know, small window of, of time. It's still that, that listeria is going to be growing at refrigeration temperatures. Um, any, anyway, uh, right. Right. And yeah, yeah. And a pregnant woman shouldn't have those foods in, in her fridge anyway. Right? right. Bottom line. So it doesn't, yes, the risk will amplify, but they shouldn't be there anyway. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, but, but I think this is like, I, I think there is a, a growing body of need to get more of this information out there, but using like TikTok, like I think that's what I need to do or Instagram to, to, to actually like show videos about how you should like get a thermometer before the power goes out. And, um, here are some, we, I bought some low, low cost data trackers, uh, or data, um, data loggers that are for both humidity and, and temperature that go into refrigerators to like, you know, mess around with this a little bit, but yeah, this is a good, I mean, it's, it's, it's good. And, and you know what, what I really appreciate about deep, deep refrigerator here is, is, um, highlighting to us about, about being pregnant and, and sort of right there knowing, Hey, I'm in a higher risk group here. What do I need to worry about? That's different from my, and as I, um, as you said, let me, let me read, um, husband with a stomach of steel from his fraternity days. <laughs> you know, what, what about my, my pregnancy matters here? Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not really sure he has a stomach of steel. Agreed. Not really sure you can get that from your fraternity days. Um, I'm not sure that's actually a thing, but, but yes. you know, uh, okay. But, but certainly, <laughs> certainly being pregnant is different. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so no, good, good stuff. So a, a couple of people sent us this article from Vox um, entitled The Lie of Expired Food and the Disastrous Truth of America's Food Waste Problem. Did you read this article? I did. Yeah, I love it. So what are your, what are your thoughts? So this is, so this, yeah, this comes from, uh, from Vox. It's uh, Alyssa Wilkinson um, wrote this. And the, the, the headline is The Lie of Expired Food and the Disastrous Truth of America's Food Waste uh, problems. Did you just say that exactly? Did I just re reread? You just reread the headline. It's fine. <laughs> so, um, so, so the the article really goes through um, some some research that we've talked about here on the podcast before about food, you know, food waste. There's a, a kind of a, a cool um, 
uh, passage here on on page six, which in our PDF, uh, about halfway through. But I'll I'll let me um, l- let me read let me read from it because I think this is where where the meat of the food safety stuff comes from. Eventually, producers seeing that shoppers actually wanted to know what the secret dates were in referring to date labels. Um, started including more clearly readable dates on packages with month, day, and year. And this all goes back to best before dates. They saw it as a marketing boon. It was a way to attract consumers and signify that your food was fresh and flavorful. Consumers loved it. And the so-called open date labels became common, but there was little consistency about them. And while the federal government made some attempts beginning in the 1970s to enact legislation that would standardize what those labels mean across the country, they failed. The exception is infant formula for their strict federal guidelines. Instead, the burden fell on state and some local legislatures, which passed laws that varied widely, often relying on voluntary industry standards. One state might never require labels. Another may mandate the freshness label on milk, have data um, have a date of 21 days past bottling. A third may set the date at 14 days. In my home state in New York, there are laws about labels, but the standards don't mention uh, dates at all. Certainly many manufacturers still put date labels on their products and various municipalities set their own guidelines. So so anyway, the part that I wanted to start with here is what this article doesn't do really well is set the stage for the difference between the 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 fallacy of expiration dates which we don't which we don't have right so it doesn't really talk about that and it it doesn't give the nuance behind best before dates and use by dates and sell by dates and 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 they are confusing like this is all you know this is something that that we've talked about we had a really great conversation with Mrs. Soup about this intersection between um, food waste and recovery, recovering food um, and um, and food disparity and dates are all kind of wrapped up in, into that. It, it, it is what 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 I think the author misses here is what about these dates is about safety and it's very little, right? Like very, very little. What about these dates is based on quality and, and quote shelf life or of, of the, of the food. That's where this best before comes in and, and use by um, comes in. And in the, it, it, the, the, the tone of this article kind of sets up to me that the, that, that I, I think, I think what the request here is that it, that uh, that quote expiration dates should be mandated and should be standardized, and I don't agree with that because I I only care, and I, you know I think you I don't know I well I'll see I'll see if you agree with this, but I only mm-hmm. care about the safety based ones anyway. I I I think that the I want the company who sells me the food to be able to dictate what they think the best quality is, as long as they tell me this is what they think the best quality is, not that at the end of this date it is unsafe. And don't leave a nuance for that. And we've talked about that on on risky or not a, a bunch of times. I I don't want I, I don't I, I want it to be clear that it is about quality, and I don't want someone to um, to legislate or standardize it. But I think we need to do a better job communicating what it is. So. And milk is different because we're talking about spoilage and grading. And so almost all of the dates that you would find are milk related when it goes state to state. But they're not they're not food safety dates. So so I, I feel like that's missed in this article. Uh, what yeah, are your, what are your and I don't 
Yeah, I don't I don't like the tone. It's a very preachy tone. It's very scolding of the food industry. It's like, oh, you bad people in the food industry. Why are you not doing this right? Um, and it turns out it's really it's really kind of complicated, right? And I, and I will say too that that one of the things that I discovered in my office when I moved to Rutgers uh, was some. And I don't know if I still have them in my office or not. I might. Um, are some books with a their blue paperback books. And it was a, a series of meetings on open dating, and Rutgers was involved. And 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 again, I think Ted Labuza was involved too, because he was sort of you know in 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 his that was a he was you know a young rising star in, in food safety with you know dating and and degradation kinetics and all of that. I'll see if I can find them. I'll let him go into the office and see if I can find them. But it's. You know, it, it turns out it was complicated in the 1970s. It turns out it's still complicated. So I'm I'm involved in a project right now working for a big food company that wants to kind of play in this space. And it's not so much about the shelf life of their foods. They want to help people by giving them advice on what foods are okay to eat or what the potential food safety implications are and looking at like, okay, so what are the most commonly wasted foods and what are foods that we think that we can come up with? Like let's tell people to do right. And, and, and so they have hired me to come in and look at the scientific literature and it turns out it's really freaking complicated. Right. Um, and I, so I've looked at two foods so far and, and I've written short reports, which hopefully at some point will, I'll be in a position where I can share them and publish them. And we looked at pasteurized fluid milk as the first choice, the first food. And then we looked at bananas as the second food. And if you dig into the literature and you start to look at this and it's like, okay, I'm going to put, I'm going to write a document that says what you can do with milk that's expired or bananas at the end of their shelf life. Um, well, first of all, of course, it's science, so you never have all the information you need, right? But with the information you have, like, okay, well, so what are the organisms that spoil milk? Well, it turns out um, it's Pseudomonas. Okay, well, Pseudomonas is a spoilage organism, but are there any pathogenic species of Pseudomonas uh, linked to food? Uh, well, it turns out that there are. And uh, what about bacillus? Well, okay, so what, what do we know about bacillus in milk? And what do we know about the, and again, bacillus taxonomy is a mess, right? And so what do we know about bacillus species that might make toxins? Um, and, and we know that bacillus makes two kinds of toxins, right? It's got a diarrhea diarrheogenic toxin, which is heat labile, and a, a, a emetic, a vomit-inducing toxin that is heat-stable, and what do we know about the kind of bacillus that you find in milk, and what do we know about the temperature range for toxin production, right? And then with bananas, it's like, well, okay, what are the what are the the organisms you find in bananas? Well, good news is that it's probably not their bacteria don't grow on the skin of bananas, like foodborne pathogens don't grow in the skin of bananas. We don't see a lot of back, uh, disease from you know human outbreaks from bananas. You can go into the CDC um, NORS database and type in banana, and you see a lot of like banana cream uh, pies that make people sick, but but no illnesses from bananas. But guess what? There are uh, fungi that are found on bananas. And some of those fungi are toxigenic, right? And so, okay, oh, we can find mycotoxigenic fungi on bananas. And there's a paper I got very excited about that was published quite a few years ago where they isolated a bunch of uh, aflatoxin-producing uh, fungi from bananas, and then they studied their ability to produce aflatoxin. 
but they did that on corn, not oh. on bananas. So, because of course, why wouldn't you? You got to use a, the right kind of, you know. So it's just like okay, and then and then looking at okay, so what do we know about mycotoxin production on uh, bananas? It's like well, there's a study from India which was published in a marginal journal, and I'm not really super happy with it. And there was some stuff that wasn't really clear. So it turns out if you try to get dig into the science to really come up with an answer to this question, it's freaking complicated. Yeah. 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 Right. 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 Well, and and I I think you highlight a couple things that what what you're trying to do is sew together a whole bunch of different data sets that 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 aren't those studies weren't designed to answer the question that you're trying to answer. Right. No, of course and, not. And because because that's not. I don't know. It it it's, it it doesn't fall in place like that very very often. Um, and, but but the like this the the date stuff and the past date and and the spoilage piece is really like it it it, it is it, it is down to the core of what we talk about on this podcast all the time, which is bacteria is everywhere, right? Point mm-hmm. point number one. Here, this might be our 2022 T-shirt. Bacteria is everywhere. Point number two. Some people would say bacteria are everywhere. Bacteria, okay. bacteria are everywhere. Um, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> number, number, number two. Um, not all bacteria are pathogens. Right. <laughs> number, number three. Some bacteria are pathogens. And, and some bacteria are probably not pathogens for some people, but might be pathogens for other people. Yep. yep. So, so that, but, but that, like in in this art, this this Vox article, that's not really well laid out. They, um, the um, the journalist talks to um, uh, someone with the last name Adler, and who is Adler? Um, let me. Grace find. Adler. Grace. Grace. Uh, Grace. Is that is it Grace Adler? No, Grace Adler's from Will and Grace, the television show. Oh. I was making a pop culture reference. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, it's a it's a dated pop culture reference. <laughs> it sure is. Uh, t- uh, t- Tamar Adler. Author, Tamar Adler, author yeah. of An Everlasting Meal. Cooking with Economy and Grace. <laughs> Dang. Oh, Grace. <laughs> Thank you. Um, in the absence of culinary. Yeah, so, sorry, chef, 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 journalist, and yep. cookbook writer. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Not, not a food safety expert. No, sorry. no, no. But in the absence of culinary information, people assume that any information they've been given must be part of the most important information. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> Great. That's a, that's, that's not a bad, bad statement, but, um, here, here's later in the article. Um, wait, 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 sorry. We have to, let's read from the next paragraph. It's really hard to imagine you're supposed to trust your own nose and mouth, Adler said. Add to that convenience culture and rapacious late stage capitalism, and well, we're effed. We Except are. She doesn't say effed. We're effed. <laughs> uh, well, so uh, there's a there's a spot here where Adler talks about. Um, uh, oh yeah, here we go. Quote quote from Adler: The whole idea that mold and bacteria are to be avoided at all costs is not only antithetical to good cooking, but it's literally not practiced in most cultures. Salami and cheese and pickles and sauerkraut and all kinds of food comes from the natural process of aging or fermentation in most cuisines of the world that are not, uh, there's not a great distinction between new food and old food. They're just ingredients that you use differently. This, that's not a fair statement, right? That it's not, no one in the food safety world that that you and I would, well, let let me, many of us, many people, (laughs) 
in the food safety world would say, yeah, that's right. We're using bacteria in lots of different ways for taste and flavor, fermentation, um, you know, mold in, in cheese. But but the, the, you've got to parse out the good and the bad here and, and putting them all together and saying, well, we should just have more bacteria is is not it's not the full it's not the full story. Um, and, and Adler, you know, uh, talking about um, how grocery stores make decisions a little later, um, so, you know, it, 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 uh, says most of the decisions that are made about most foods that we eat are made for the reasons that have nothing to do with the food's deliciousness or its healthiness or anything intrinsic to the food, Adler said. The leaves on vegetables wilt before the stalk on the vegetable, so it's much easier for the grocery stores to cut off the leaves at some point in processing. Otherwise, you have to be sprinkling and trimming them. Um, all the time. So the perfectly edible leaves and some vegetables may get lost in the process while they could have been used to feed people. It's sort of true, but, but I, and I'll, I'm not going to throw, uh, I'll protect, um, folks that, that listen to this podcast or, um, probably don't want their, their name or their businesses thrown, th- thrown out there as part of this conversation. But there are lots of folks in the grocery store industry that, that, that re- kind of report, the re the biggest some of the biggest problems they have in produce is is filth or uh, the perception of filth from wilted leaves things that that you know that that dry out and then consumers choose not to shop there because they think that that store appears to be dirty and I have a little bit we we published a paper on this earlier this year on um, uh, uh, perceptions of gro- just grocery store shoppers, what they see as risky in grocery stores. And they talk about like the dirt that they would see as like, like in, in the in the produce section, especially in the um, sort of fresh herb area, that as those things get wil- wilted and the stock depletes, you see kind of like food debris that's there and they see that that is a riskier place to shop. And it's not, it's not true like the, that, but it's not, it's not as simple as, um, what, what Adler says here that, that grocery stores are, you know, it's easier for them to cut it off at some point of the processing. It's, it's that they, they have trouble selling it if it, if it looks like it's falling apart. So there's a lot, I don't know. It, 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 we need lots of different. Uh, viewpoints to to try and um, fix this problem, but it's not as simple as what's what's sort of displayed here in the Vox in the Vox article that that for the food business wants you to buy more stuff, so they're going to mess with the dates and they're going to make it so they only sell uniform tomatoes because they it's easier for them to handle. It's easier for them to handle, but it's also that's what they can sell because consumers look for that and. We're we're stuck in that situation. It's not. Yeah, and, and guess what? If, if I buy a carton of tomatoes and I get it home and I discover inside that there are some that are split and rotting, I'm not happy about that, and I might consider going to a different grocery store or at least checking the tomatoes more carefully next time. So, and again, just as a little bit of a, a kind of a maybe to wrap this up. Um, so I did some work a while back with. Uh, an organization called Refed, uh, and you can find out more at refed.com. They're a national nonprofit dedicated to ending food loss and waste across the U.S. food system, and they uh, by advancing data-driven solutions. And they've done some good stuff. They put together an expert committee of folks in the food industry. We had a bunch of meetings. We talked about safety bait safety-based date labeling. And what I will say, and this is me sort of paraphrasing my recollection, um, everybody 
from the food industry was very interested in safety bait, safety based date labeling. They all thought it was a really good idea, and they all thought that their particular segment of the industry didn't need it. It was only other segments of the industry that needed it, which is kind of humorous, right? But understandable. Yeah. So everybody thinks it's a good idea. Everybody thinks that everybody should do it, but just not them. Yep. 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 Well, and. And I'll 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 call back to um to that conversation we had with uh, with Mrs. Soup on this. The, mm. th- this it, it complicates things at food recovery because be, because no one wants to to right. do it right like right. or we can't quite figure it out and and it, the confusion we're we're still in this in this situation. I think I might have told you this that there's um there are a couple of folks here in North Carolina who are like actively. Um, asking us, in, you know, at NC State in, in my program, to develop some educational material for local health departments to assess past date foods that were pre-consumer that could go into recovery because there's it's an interpretation problem too, right? Like, and and I I don't like I we you and I love local health departments. I don't. This is one where I really want to help them. Like give them something as a as a checklist or a starting point to help because I don't feel like this is something that they were trained in and they don't have the time to go and evaluate the safety of is it okay to to take like pizza at the end of the night and refrigerate it and then transport it to a, a food pantry. What do we have to worry about? And is it any different if it was like baked salmon or is it any different if it was like, you know, frozen scallops or what, you know, whatever, what, what have you out there? Um, so, but, but I, I think that this, it, you know, I'm glad we talked about this and I'm glad we continue to talk about it, but it's not as simple as the Vox article kind of lays it out. There's a lot here and and it that's that's OK. <laughs> I think you're wrong, Ben. I think uh, some clever entrepreneurs in San Francisco have solved the problem. Uh, um, they have made an app. Well, there you go. We got we got an app now. <laughs> so I want to talk about this article from SF Gate uh, headline food waste app. Too good to go. That's the name of the app. Too good to go. Saves leftovers from San Francisco restaurants. Did you did you have a chance to read this article? No. Tell me about this one. Okay. So I'll read I'll read to you from the article. The the, the you have to the PDF is in the show notes, okay. but it doesn't have the article because of the way that PDFs from web pages get saved. But but basically, um, so this uh, so I'll just read from the beginning of the article. As I walk out of San Francisco's grocery chain Luke's Local on a recent Tuesday evening, I feel an unexpected wave of guilt wash over me. In my hand is a heavy brown paper bag packed full of eight pieces of produce, a ham oh sorry ham and goat cheese sandwich, a loaf of seeded country bread, and a fancy looking almond pound cake, two chocolate sea I'm getting hungry two chocolate sea salt cookies, and a pack of pita bread. Somehow. I only paid $5.99 for this haul that will feed me in various ways for at least a week. The pound cake alone had a sticker price on it that says $13.99. On this day, the day that I feel like I paid a small fee to rob a bank, I decided to get all my meals or at least my food for a 24-hour period through a new app, Too Good To Go, an anti-food waste company an anti-food waste company that helps facilitate getting excess food from restaurants and grocery stores to the general public for just $4.99 or $5.99 per surprise bag. This actually is kind of a cool idea. Um, It is, you know, you kind of, you don't know what you're going to get, right? So you get what you get and you don't get upset. Um, It is maybe not the most healthy choices. I'm not sure that I want um, a 
uh, haul from La Boulangerie, which has banana nut pound cake, a big chocolate chip cookie, and a raspberry financier, whatever that is, and a baguette for $4.99. That sounds like an awfully, you know, uh, carb-centric, not at all keto, uh, gluten-free choice. But I don't know. This is kind of a cool idea. Um, And and here's the thing. If you can put people who need food together with people that have food and do it for a, a good price, which is, you know, certainly getting five, not four ninety nine or five ninety nine versus throwing something in the trash. Um, that's good. And then, and then, so I, I don't know, this is, this is kind of a cool idea. I, yeah, I like, I like this. Um, and, and I, I, you know, I, I think that's kind of one of the, one of the things that, that can help move, move this forward. This is, that was a great, yeah, I, it's a good, good pull, good find there. I'll, I'll add something else that, we, you know, just, um, organically that I put into the, to our Dropbox was, um, a, an, a, um, an article that I read last week about a cookbook about salvage food. And so it's called the salvage chef cookbook is your recipe for kitchen waste management. Um, and so there's a there's this Amazon book I haven't looked at it, but um, really talking about the science of what when when things spoil, what can you do with it, uh, and what can you not do with it. So um, looking at forty, the the quote here from um, the uh, the chef's name is Michael Love. He said one one day I discovered that approximately forty pounds of chicken trim, tenderloins, and tr- fat trimmings were being thrown away each week. So he said, okay, I'm going to make meatloaf with that. Um, uh, everyday families throw away perfectly edible yet overlooked foods as they're unaware how to salvage it and create something delicious. But he, he, he does kind of go into, um, according to this and according to, um, the, the interview with him, uh, you know, what, what safety things that you need to think about. And so common questions such as is meat that is Brown. Okay. To eat. And for the record, yes, it is, is what the article says. Um, Love says that beside the scrapings on a plate at the end of a meal, no other food item gets tossed in the trash more often than bread. So you know, a lengthy discussion of keeping bread fresh and how to use stale stuff. So, I, you know, I, I think we're we're turning a corner. There's lots of uh, you know, focus, whether it's apps or um, or cookbooks on this. And again, we we haven't um, reviewed the cookbook, but it's maybe it's a good starting starting point um, for it. And I didn't even download a, a chapter, but it, it does exist on um, on Kindle on the on Amazon. So so I guess check it out. Yeah, at least I always say with you know I have so many free free uh, samples on my, downloaded in my Kindle. Yeah, at, at at some point I might actually read a book. Oh, I did, I did, I did fi- finish reading uh, Karush uh, Dini's um, book, which was very good on OmniFocus. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I'm, I, I, I don't think we talked about this. I'm gone. I, I've gone full Kindle uh, for Ooh. reading. Yeah, because I've been reading outside, and I find it's really good in the direct sunlight. Yes. Yes. Um, so, so I've recently read uh, a, uh, a a biography on Bad Religion, my favorite punk band. Um, and then right now I'm in the middle of, uh, of a book called Wilmington's lie about, um, uh, a, just a terrible, uh, racist situation that happened in Wil- Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, post, uh, civil war, um, you know, during the reconstruction, but just a massacre that was led by a lot of people that we've named things after in North Carolina. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but it was, um, a re- it's been a really, I'm about halfway through it. Um, I'm going to try and finish it while I'm, uh, uh, traveling this week. And, but it's, it's a really, it's an excellently written book and just a whole, um, a whole bunch of stuff about like systemic, systemic racism that I didn't have a good perspective on, not 
growing up here in the South. Um, so yeah, Wilmington, Wilmington Lie, I think it's called. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, um, we will, uh, we will, we will link to that. Yeah. Um, all right. Other stuff that I put in here. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh, go, go ahead. Well, I, I, yeah. What do you got? What do you want to? Uh, well, I do. I do want to. I want to. I want to clear out all of the follow up, yes. which means I, I definitely want to talk about uh, Melissa. Yep. Melissa's Facebook uh, Messenger message to me about raw pet food. But if you want to go no. ahead, and you can take one. Let's go there. Okay. Cool. So, so this is a and again, I mean, I this is not a complaint about Melissa, but Facebook Messenger is such <laughs> a mess because Facebook. Here's the thing, Ben. Facebook is a. It's a walled garden, as people say, and it's really hard. Like, I really desperately wanted to talk about this, and there's no way to link, easily link to Melissa's Facebook Messenger message. So I ended up doing a screen cap, and then she links to a Facebook page, which is not really easy to get to, but we'll talk about it. So anyway, um, so... Uh, so I'll just read her entire message. She says, hi there, Dr. Schaffner. I know you're at IAFP now. Actually not, but that's okay. Uh, when you get a chance, this is a good read, I think. My girlfriend feeds raw and is a certified raw dog. Sorry, not, I'm not going to laugh. My girlfriend feeds raw. That means she feeds her dogs raw food uh, and is a certified raw dog food nutritionist. So we've had some discussion about this. And this is, again, it's talking about our episode, our risky or not episode about raw dog food. Um, we listened to your risky or not episode about raw feeding dogs. And although you both made some good points, I think a few things were missed. I've been meaning to discuss it with you, but I think this post sums it up nicely. It seems there are more issues with dry food, especially than raw. And then, so we'll go from there to this, uh, this, this, uh, again, and we'll try to link to it, but this is from a public, so Dogs Naturally Magazine, DNM, The Pack, public group on Facebook. And this is an article written by Sharon Tyrell, article, this is a, a post written by Sharon Tyrell, um, who is basically a proponent of raw feeding, raw, feeding raw foods to dogs and talks about the problems, you know, with the, the commercial dog food industry. And so there's a few quotes from Sharon. She actually, I mean, again, this would be really nice to try to actually link to the actual article. Um, she actually does put references. Oh, and so, so Sharon is promoting her book. Okay. Um, which uh, she, and she quotes from her book um, uh, some stuff. Let's see. So, Let's see. Let me see if I can get this right. Um, yeah. Uh, references available on request. Yeah. So, so, so I'm tempted to ask her for these references. And so she's, she's written a book about raw dog food and she, and she also um, links to the literature. And I think she does a you know pretty good job of finding stuff in the literature showing that there are some outbreaks linked to, uh, let's see. So shot at Al in 2007, uh, linked to an outbreak of illness in staff who are looking after military kennel, kennels in Montevideo, Uruguay, uh, to contaminated dry commercial feed. Salmonella Schwarzegrund in the United States, a colossal study was undertaken by Brehavesh in 2010, who found dry dog and cat food to be the cause of the outbreak. So anyway, so basically what, and this is very similar to the, the what the raw milk people do is that they say, well, yes, raw milk may cause illness, but there's 
also outbreaks linked to pasteurized milk. And so that's essentially the, the yep. logic and the article here. And, and my uh, comment back to Melissa, which I did not capture, but I'll try to relay from, from memory, is basically, well, denominators matter, right? And so if over if, if, if 99% of people out there feed commercially prepared food to their dogs and 1% feed raw and there's equivalent number of outbreaks or there's, there's twice as many outbreaks from commercially prepared versus raw, that still means the risk from raw is much higher, right? Because the denominators are different. But, but it, it is, I mean, I, I, you know, again, and risky or not does not allow for listener feedback. And so I do want to say, I, I, hopefully we didn't say on the show, I'm sure we didn't say that, that commercially prepared dog food is safe because it's not, right? And we've talked before about pig's ears, right? Yep. And, we, we, and certainly uh, dry dog food does have risks. And in fact, you and I have talked about this. So anyway, yeah, um, no. I, I thought this was, I really, I do appreciate Melissa taking the time to, to send us this. And then, and we'll, again, we'll find, see if we can find a way to link to this uh, public uh, Facebook group so people can check it out and, and read more about it. Yeah, and, and let me let me add a couple things to this because I mm-hmm. think the um, d- you're exactly right. The denominator matters, right? So we don't have a good sense of from from this book from this post of how much raw um, food is consumed uh, compared to dry, but it's got to be drastically more dry cooked or or wet cooked um pet food but there's a couple things i want to i want to highlight here if we look at the um all of the dates on the data uh related to the dry dog food it's it's actually all predates the animal food feed rule from fisma fisma right so so that's why the, that rule exists, right? That that was why the the the, the we almost had this like two tiered system of foods for humans needs to be like have these microbiological standards and food for for pets and, and animals it meets this other thing that's been aligned much more now because of a history of um, illnesses associated with um, handling. Uh, pet foods and also the consumption of pet foods, especially in a food disparity um, situation. So that like, I I think that, you know, 10 years later, the most, the most recent data that's, that's shared here comes from uh, 2011. Um, And, and so 10 years later, I I think it's, I think it's probably different. And and, and again, not to say we're, we're, it's not zero risk. There's, there's certainly problems and things can happen. But the the like comparatively to raw food, where and I'll you know I I just sent you a link, Don, that we'll put into um, show notes about if I'm looking at raw poultry being feeding that to my to my dog and do that this is, comes from CDC and there's a whole bunch of data on FSIS's website but this is the 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 quickest one that I could find in 2016 USDA FSIS implemented further measures for Campylobacter requiring contamination rates to be no more than 1.9% in ground chicken and turkey products and 7.7% in raw chicken products and in processing plants so that means the threshold that is allowed out that it based on the the sampling plans is 7.7 percent of the raw chicken that i'm feeding my dog c- could have campylobacter in it and and so i would rather avoid that right like like there's it's it is not that's that's a that to me that's a high amount of of risk and the salmonella is I think even a little bit higher. Uh, no, I think it's a little bit lower than that in in chicken parts. Um, it's like three point five percent or something. Oh, I'm totally making that up based on not having it in front of me. Um, but but I think that that's 
part of this, right? Like, like now I'm taking a food that I know is allowed to have that, that Campylobacter in it, not a food that is regulated to, ha- to be at the same standard as, um, a- as human food. Um, and again, it's not zero contamination, but, but it is, um, it's, I, I think it, I still, you know, the, this is the podcast where we get to say riskier or fr- than that. And I think, <laughs> I, and I think, I think raw dog food's riskier than, than not raw dog food. Um, just based on, you know, based on the denominator and the, the fact that we're, we, you know, salmonella is, is deemed to be a naturally occurring pathogen in, in raw meats and, and that the, you know, Campylobacter at 7.7% is the threshold that we allow. So, yeah, but good, but you know, that, that all being said, I, I appreciate Melissa's message and we, we, this is why we continue these conversations, right? Like we, we I, I don't want to. I don't want to come on to, to this show or other show and kind of say, so here's the, here's the answer. But, but I, th- I think what we try to do is say, here are our perspectives based on what we see in, in the data and other people can interpret that data differently. Right. And we're not, and again, you know, see, see raw milk, Amsterdam, we are not, we're in favor of people being able to do what they want. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, but, but, but do so with an awareness of what the risks are. And I'm not going to tell you how to feed your dog. Um, but be aware that if you're going to feed them raw food, that there are risks. Right. And, and, and there are obviously there are risks from feeding your dog, uh, you know, commercially processed, uh, can't well, but canned food is probably pretty safe. I'm gonna say, yeah, uh, canned food is probably pretty safe. And then, but there is a risk from dry food for sure. Yep. Yeah, and uh, we all make our own risk decisions, Don. <laughs> That's we do another we another do. tagline for uh, the 2022 uh, T-shirt. So, uh, so I don't know if you want to talk about it on this show, um, but again, this is something that came to me via text message, and I don't have a really good way to get text messages with stuff like this into risky or not. Um, did you take a look at Caitlin's text message yep. about cornflakes? I'm uh, looking at wanna, it right do, now. Do, yeah. Do you want to do that in risky for risky or not? Or do you want to talk about it here? Well, we're, we've started. Let's talk about it here. I'll set this, I'll set this one up for you. So, so friend of the show, Caitlin, who is a, um, a partially my graduate student or I'm co-advising her, uh, loves to send us stuff. Uh, she sends us a snapshot from a package of Kellogg's cornflakes for a recipe for crispy chicken tenders. Ingredients, five cups of Kellogg's cornflakes crushed to desired consistency, one to one and a half pounds chicken tenders rinsed. Rinse chicken tenders with cold water and coat with crushed Kellogg's cornflakes cereal. Place coated tenders on a foil-lined baking sheet. Bake at 350 degrees Fahrenheit for about 25 minutes or until chicken is tender, no longer pink, and juices run clear. For food safety, internal temperature of the chicken should reach at least 160 to 5 degrees Fahrenheit. Serve warm with your favorite dipping sauce. Thoughts on this recipe, Ben? Yeah. So, and I'll, we'll, we'll, let's say what, what Caitlin said, because I think it's, yeah. it's yeah. good. Problems with rinsing a chick, chicken aside. Aside, yep, right. Which we, yep, absolutely. What are your thoughts on the messaging around determining when it's done? I feel like the temperature should come before the quality measures if they're going to have insist, insist on having both. So, yeah, this... Uh, we did a super secret project that may never see the light of day for a agency <laughs> where we looked at messages on labels and and working with um, a colleague of mine who's a, um, a, a risk communication person who we've worked t- together on tons of different studies. Andy Bender, friend of the show, friend of mine, guy that I go sit at uh, Carolina Hurricanes hockey games with. Um he he really 
as we were designing things for the intervention for that study, he brought up a lot of things about confusing messages around confusing quality and safety, uh, confusing, conflicting messages, and then temporally. So, so one of the things that's, that's kind of, that he raised as being important is exactly when to take the temperature and how to determine that, that doneness has, has occurred. And so in here, there are, there are elements of all of that. So instead of saying like, just cook to an internal temperature of 165, they say, they give a, a, an estimated time, right? We mm-hmm. think that this should take about 25 minutes at 350. Okay, that's mm-hmm. good, right? It, it instructs somebody to say, to, to say when you should take the temperature. What, what I would say is missing from this is, um, you know, if, if I was to reconstruct this in the, the, like, you know, on the fly in the, in the perfect risk communication way, it's the directions are bake at 350 for about 25 minutes, period. Mm-hmm. At the end of 25 minutes, check the temperature internally with a digital t- tip sensitive thermometer to see that it has reached at least 165 degrees Fahrenheit, period. At this point, the chicken should be tender and no longer pink and juices run clear, except those color indicators may not correspond to 165 degrees Fahrenheit and you may need to cook longer if you want those quality parameters. That's a terrible like on the fly message, but that's the order. And I would say, and something like, if it's not at 165, keep it in the oven for five more minutes and check the temperature again. And check again, right? exactly. Until, until r- yeah. rinse and repeat, right? Like, yes. like a, keep going until you reach 165. Yeah. Now, what what about the advice to rinse with cold water? Yeah, don't do that. Like, just, okay. Yeah, but, or the, what now, the, the other piece is, so, so first I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, but, but I, you know, again, from another study that we did for, um, a, a federal agency that is public, um, that we talked about in, in previous, uh, uh, episodes that got me called out for my quote, chicken rinsing method, um, <laughs> just, just to, to be clear, uh, it's not my, not, not the thing that I do, but we know that people do it. So right. say if, if you are going to include this, you know, even alluding to and saying, if you rinse the chicken first, be sure to clean and sanitize your, your sink. sink right. That's the, that's the most important part, right? In, in right. this and, and the cooking. So yeah, I mean, like what things that I like about it, I mean, we just deconstructed this and, and really got into like, you know, nitpicky stuff, but that's where we should be. The fact that they actually say cook it to 165, that's perfect, right? Like that's in here. It gives me um, something to, to do, but I would, I, you know, I, I would put that after the process of how to, how to actually make this and the, the instructions, it does say for food safety, one of the things that we want to test in, in upcoming studies is better understand whether people know what that means or whether we explicitly have to say to reduce the risk of salmonella, to reduce right. the risk of campylobacter, you know, let me, to reduce the risk of food poisoning of food poisoning. Right, right, right. right. You know that that piece is 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 kind of to be determined, and and so we're working with um, with a number of of companies that are interested in that type of messaging to to get a sense of what what people are react to better and and does it change you know behaviors uh, in that area. So so good job for um, Kellogg's <clears throat> friends friends of the show friends of ours and food safety um, in um, in this, but but yeah, I, I think there's there's room to to improve that messaging. Yeah, and if, if anybody from Kellogg's is listening, I I have a I really want to know is rinsing the chicken 
an essential part of the recipe, right? Right. Or are you just telling people to do something because they do it anyway, right? Like, so I really want to know, does the, and I guess you could do an experiment, right? Do, do the cornflakes stick better if you, if you rinse it with cold water? I really want to know that. And then also, obviously a food safety person from Kellogg's looked at this to tell them you have to put 165. Why did that food safety person not also tell them to not rinse it, right? And right. so to me, there's still a couple of open questions there. So if anybody at Kellogg's is listening and has any insight and want to drop us a, a message anonymously or wherever, we would, we would, I would love to learn more. I, yeah, I, that's a really good good point. And what's, what is really interesting to me, you know, we, you and I have been part of panels and, um, you know, we, we were, we were part of a group that, that looked at the, um, uh, fight back messages, a partnership for food safety education, core four messages over the last fall and into early this year and in revamping and moving those those forward from a science-based standpoint. One of the things that came up in those discussions that I thought was really interesting was um, the 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 group the representatives from the industries who were there talked about you like let us from our industry tell you about the food safety things that we are concerned about. Let's not have other groups that aren't part of our industry talk about that. And and it, that sounds really like wishy-washy. What I mean is Kellogg's doesn't sell chicken tenders, right? They don't right. sell, they don't sell raw chicken. So, so yeah, you want to have something here that is um, marketable, but also, are, are you, why are you not working with the chicken industry who, who run, who runs the messaging around chickens <laughs> or, you know, be aligned with the food safety messaging from the partnership for food safety, for food safety education or FSIS, which would say, don't, you know, why are we telling people to rinse all, all around? Like, this seems like it's Kellogg's making that decision, you know, talking about someone else's products and it, yeah. and it right. Like, so, so yeah, I don't know. What were you going to say? I just cut you off there. Oh, no, that, no, that's it. I'm, I'm done. good. 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 Nice. Nicely done. <laughs> okay, cool. 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 Um, what other uh, what, what other feedback do you want to we, do? We nail it all. No, we, we, we've got we've taken care of all the feedback that I identified. There's one there's one more here. Um, and just a just a call out to um, to a listener to the show, Rachel, who who sends oh, us yes. uh, deep, you know, deep crimson, who sends us a lot of great feedback. One of our longest listening listeners, but also really in depth. And um, so Rachel, um, Rachel sent us an, uh, uh, an article because based on we, you and I had talked to briefly about super tasters uh, a couple episodes back. And um, she sent us an, an article uh, that was in uh, JAMA, uh, the JAMA, JAMA open network about super tasters may being, may might being protected. Might suit. Let me read the actual uh, headline. Super tasters might be protected against COVID-19. Um, and so uh, really looking at a, um, not, not, not a, um, uh, like both a, a epidemiological study of looking at, um, percent of indiv individuals who were infected and hospitalized versus tasters and non-tasters. Um, and, but, but also like, it's kind of explaining, um, about, uh, a gene that, that is linked to super tasting that may have something to do with, um, receptors. Uh, and so that was really like, I think it's a cool, cool study. We'll, we'll link to it. But again, always, we always appreciate, uh, follow up from Rachel, um, on, on all of our shows. 
Yes, and, and I apologize. I have a, a hazel rule which which turns the the tags it with a red color if there's the word feedback is in the title and I when I saved her message I forgot to save it with that uh, with that um, with that tag so it, or that with that name so it didn't it didn't turn color so that's why why I missed it but and I have to say too like I'm as a super taster I'm really excited about it yeah and as a non super taster I'm pissed yeah. <laughs> But, but so be careful out there, Ben. I'm, I'm, uh, that's all I have to say. Yeah. Um, but so, and I think it, it's it's real. I mean, I've really it sort of it tickles my 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 funny bone or my fancy because there are such dramatic differences between people getting sick with COVID, right? And so I've got to wonder, like, what's what's underlying that? Is there a genetic predisposition? Um, whether it's linked to super taster status or not, it seemed to me for a long time this is something that is probably linked to something genetic, right? And this, the, the fact that we've kind of got this little teaser of an idea that might have something there uh, is, is really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking of which, I'm going to send you a link to something something else that I that that tickled my fancy a little bit. Um, so you mentioned, uh, or we mentioned at the start of the show about like my little my little brush with health scare. And so what what it, what it was was related to blood pressure. And so I you know went to the dentist and they took my blood pressure and it was really high. And then I made you know lots of uh, uh, different lifestyle decisions in the last uh, month or so since getting that news. But also have been uh, placed on an ACE inhibitor by my doctor. But here, as I was looking at this, because uh-huh. I was reading a little bit about ACE inhibitors, and thought. You know, ACE inhibitors and ACE receptors, that's something that you and I talked about last year quite a bit as it relates to COVID. And the ACE2 receptor is a receptor for for a, the, this, this um, angio, uh, angio-intensitive enzyme and thinking that that receptor is linked to the entry point for COVID-19. I'm on now an inhibitor that that um, is really helping my, my blood pressure, but also a really huge study in the UK, um, this, you know, cohort, uh, study, 19,000 patients, um, that ACE inhibitors were associated with a significantly reduced risk of COVID-19 disease and, um, uh, complications. So hospitalizations and, and death. So, so even though I'm not a super taster, my blood pressure <laughs> medicine might be helping me right now. <laughs> <laughs> So, so I thought that was I thought that was kind of cool. But again, here we are with so cool. co, you know, co, um, uh, um, just, just there. There's so much about COVID and and this you know this d- disease, this virus that we don't know about that we're going to learn over years and years of research time. Uh, and so this was one was like, oh, cool cohort study including 8.3 million people. That's great. And all of a sudden, maybe I'm I, I'm I'm better I'm better off than I was for lots of different reasons, not just uh, my lower b- blood pressure. Exactly. It's the, it's the silent killer. That's what, that's what I hear, Don. It's the silent killer. What kind of, what kind of symptoms do you have? None. Oh, that's why they call it the silent killer. Uh, uh, well, I think, I think that might be a show. We, we went a little longer than the normal. Um, but, but yeah, it, um, I, uh, we, I want to, I want to say that, um, for the last six or seven years, maybe longer, we've, we've done an, uh, an, an episode at IAFP live from from some small dingy room at one point to larger rooms well, where people could join us. Let, uh, were they were they ever really dingy? Wow, there was one they where were, they were small and windowless. Small and windowless <laughs> with maybe like uh, you know trash that was scattered that we cleaned up before we started. 
dingy, dingy might be going too far. Yes. Um, but but over time, we we have garnered a um, with with requests and granting from the wonderful IAFP staff and and David Tharp who who does listen to the show or used to listen to the show from the from the website. Um, it, it, it has has granted us space where we can bring people in, and we won't be doing that this year because um, I'm going and you're not, and um, and so so we're we, it's on a hiatus, uh, a, a second year in a row with no IAFP show, but this will be our last show before IAFP. Uh, our next show, we will talk about our IAFP experience like we would normally do in person, <laughs> but we, we will have to do so um, separately in our in our own studio rooms um, with our own bourbon. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that yeah. So sorry, sorry for listeners of of not uh, not having this uh, in in person, but we'll do it again in the future when we when, when we when we travel again to to IAFP together. And if you're there, say hi to Ben and ask for a T-shirt. And if you want a T-shirt and you're not there, uh, you can order one from Cotton Bureau. And we, we put a link in the show notes. Absolutely. And I will, as always, honor the requests of uh, purchasing drinks at any free uh, reception <laughs> that Don has offered in the past. I will be the surrogate for that. <laughs> a lot of the receptions are canceled, but I hear the student reception is still on. That is that is correct. I will I will happily provide um, uh, free drinks in, in that uh, in that reception. Although you will not be in charge of the drink tickets. Nope, nope. Uh, it's that the uh, position has been uh, taken away from that role. I have been banned <laughs> from, uh, and and it comes full circle, Don. It's because of uh, some bad decisions I've made uh, in <laughs> Phoenix the last time I AFP was there. <laughs> Um, is that right? Yes, yes, yes. Oh, yep. um, so uh, yes. yeah. So we'll we'll we we we'll, yep. There's 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 history, but I will not be in charge of drink tickets. Um, all right. Well, this has been another episode of Food Safety Talk. Uh, bye. <laughs> we need an outro. That was it. Show. It's a bye. <laughs> oh, bye. <laughs>
IAFP next week, and we're going to do risky or not because we need that one. Um, but if we, but you're going to be on vacation. Yeah, I'm going to be on vacation. I'm going. I'm going to Arkansas, where everyone goes on vacation. Mountain biking. Mountain biking. Um, okay, so the week of the second of August is really quite good if we were looking at times that you would be um, available. What would you What would you prefer? Because I've got a lot of availability. Yeah, so let me see here. Oh, this CFP preparation. Yeah. Um, it litters my calendar. God, it just goes on and on and on. Uh, let's do let's do nine or ten a.m. on August third. Does that work? Either of those work? Yep. And, and screw perfect. the CFP preparation. Yep. Yep. I'm going to do try to do that another day. That is perfect. Perfect. Let's go. Which one? Let's go nine. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll schedule nine till noon, and that. Um, so Sam, uh, I will be back in a normal kind of schedule because Sam goes back to school on the second. So someone will be driving Sam to school. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. And then Jack goes back, I think on the 23rd or something. So, um, FST recording. Good. Um, perfect. Okay. Yeah. And then that'll, yeah. Now we're back into like, you know, driving someone to school, no, mm. you know, getting up, make, you know, setting an alarm. I have been using the Apple sleep maintenance too. I haven't, mm-hmm. I've not gotten back into wearing my watch at night. Cause I just don't like it. I don't, like oh, the, I haven't, interesting. yeah. Well, do you, what band do you use? Like, I think that's uh, my problem. I have the, it's not called Velcro, but it's the, it's the sports band. Does it breathe okay at night? Like I get my, my well, wrist gets sweaty. So here's, here's the thing. And I'm not sure I'm, so I'm right now I'm all in on sleep tracking. I'm doing really well. I'm winning the game. I'm getting all the points on my score keeps, I'm going for my high score, um, which I love. Um, but I, I also have discovered, I don't, and Merlin talked about this, like his wife has like a divot on her wrist yeah. uh, from wearing her watch. And so I, I have tried and I, I do better on some days versus others. I try to kind of, I'm just doing it right now. I try to just put it like just as gently as possible. So it little, it, it it's kind of, doesn't it's t- it needs to touch your skin to do the thing it needs to do, but to try to have it touch it as gently as possible. Okay. Um, which may be the reason why I don't get a good score sometimes for, um, what, whatchamacallit, the, uh, uh, blood ox right um because oh, it's shifting around a little because it's because it's yeah. not making good contact but yeah. i try to i try to have it like just sort of and i and i don't have a problem with it sweating um but but again i don't have it cranked down super tight either and, and I, I'm, I'm pretty good about wearing it every day but like occasionally i'll miss my big problem is if i don't remember to charge it at night when i'm having like a tv time then i go to bed and it's like it's got no power and then i've got to, oh i'll just put it on the charger and i wake up in the morning put it on so yeah, I'm my it, it's really all sweat for me. Like I cuz I wear it huh. all the time and I'm using I've got um you gave me a Milanese um uh loop. loop. Yep. So I have that. I actually have another Milanese loop that I that I purchased on on Amazon like an off-brand one that I also use that's a little it's gray instead of black, a little different color. Mm-hmm. And then I have the normal Apple sports band, like the the rubber one. Oh, yeah. So this this is not a sports band. This is the Velcro one. So yeah. it's a cloth. It might be more breathable. That's what I might need to go there. So have I ever told you <laughs> this is a long, old, old story. This is good for an after <laughs> show. But do you do you remember I went to Japan to do a TV show? I like, do. OK, I do. Did I ever tell you what what like what they called me? Um, like my nickname from the no. production company. So, no. so the, so I, the, for listeners who are still here, here's the, here's the story. 
I got called by the Department of Agriculture here in in um, North Carolina because they had a request for someone, and I don't even know how it came from came to them, but for a production company in Japan that was making a show that was like, how do things work? But it's not that. It's a show that was about here are things that we do in Japan and here's how they differ from places elsewhere. <laughs> that's the premise of the show. So, okay. That's so, cool. Yeah. I, so, I watched that show. It was, yeah. And, and so, but the, the premise, so their other episodes were about things like art history, right? But okay. my show that I got invited to was tomatoes and, <laughs> and it was like tomato production, tomato food safety, tomato Because everybody knows that you're an expert on tomatoes. I'm when a, I think about tomatoes in the United States, boom, Ben yeah, Chapman, right? Ben, Top of my list. Right. And, and so I was like, well, I don't know if I'm the right guy for this. They're like, no, no, no. You've done some, some work in like on-farm food safety. And we want to talk about like how food safety in tomatoes. And you've got this hydroponic tomato background. Like they had done some research once they got in contact with me. Um, right. And they're like, no, we think you're the right guy. I'm like, oh, okay. So I fly over to Japan. Um, I have to have a suit. Which I didn't have at the time. Like I, I mean, I never had a suit. Well, I got a suit when I was in high school, and right. then I didn't have a suit. And that probably doesn't fit. No, no. Although it might fit now. Uh, <laughs> so, um, but so I, so I go in and I and I purchase a suit because they want me to arrive off the plane after twenty hours of travel to to video cameras uh. in a suit. And like, here's this, this American expert who is going to tell us oh all about God. tomatoes and food safety. So, oh my God. yeah. So I do that. Um, and then they, we drive immediately. Like there's, I don't go to a hotel. We drive immediately to a, um, a, 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 a tomato a hydroponic greenhouse. That's like three hours away from, from Tokyo. Um, and, and so I've not slept. They, you know, we, we stop at a gas station and get some food. I sleep in the, in the, in the van. There's another guy there who's with me. who's also a, an expert who is from, um, uh, from the Netherlands, from Holland, who's a, who's an actual tomato farmer. So he does, he does have tomatoes, but here's the thing. And this is where it relates to the watch band. So I get into this hydroponic, <laughs> I get into this hydroponic, um, you know, uh, greenhouse and and I haven't slept. I, I haven't showered. It's hot. I've been able to change out of my suit into like, you know, a button down. But it is mm-hmm. like it is hot, hot, hot and sunny. And there's a little bit of fan, but I'm sweating. And so they refer to me, Dawn, as Dr. Sweaty. <laughs> and, and, and so I've told there's a like there. It's not I, I don't even know what the TV show is called, but I have a. a, a oh, like literally on the show. They call you Dr. Well, Sweaty. No, the production company just refers to me as Dr. Sweaty because they have to keep oh, coming God. back with. They a, come and blot you or whatever. Yes, I got a thing. And they're like, Dr. Sweaty needs another. Um, he needs, he needs, he needs <laughs> Dr. Another, Sweaty needs a rubdown. <laughs> Dr. Sweaty needs a rubdown is exactly it. So so here am I getting my get get my Dr. Sweaty um help. And 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 so there's a, a a DVD that they send me, you know, months and months after of the TV show. And and we're there, you know, there's there, there's only a few really like I'm over there for three days and and I got a you know, they bought they bought a suit for me out of it, which was nice. Um but I, uh, uh, you know, it's, it, I'm on it for like 15 minutes and there are shots in the greenhouse where I'm clearly sweating. So I tell my, my friends, um, we went, once this happened, I had like a screening of this cause my, my friends thought that this was hilarious. So I show them the, this, like, you know, this, this TV show. And then I, I tell them about Dr. Sweaty and that name has stuck on. I am still, oh, cool. yeah. So I'm still referred to as, as Dr. Sweaty. In fact, um, 
there, there are some of my neighbors who, who <laughs> refer to me as Dr. Sweaty all the time. And, and as we have golfed uh, together, uh, they, I, I will, I will get up on the tee and they're like, here's, you know, Dr. Sweaty's on the tee. Um, so, so anyway, but that's the thing you, you wanted a nickname. I tried to, I tried to make Zippy catch on, but it yeah. might just be Dr. Sweaty. Dr. Dank. Some people, you know, people <laughs> that hasn't, Dank. Dr. Dank hasn't, hasn't stuck, but Dr. Sweaty certainly can't, has. But anyway, that's why I can't wear a, my sleep tracker is because my oh, arm gets all sweaty. sweaty. Yeah. So Dr. Sweaty has, has trouble with that. Yeah. So anyway, if anybody, <laughs> if anybody has gotten this far into the after show and, and has a suggestion for, a, a breathable watch band that I can wear at night because Dr. Sweaty, God knows he needs one. Um, that's where, that's where I'm at. And I, it is, it gets like, I get a rash if I don't let oh, yeah. it, let it yeah. breathe. Like it's, oh, it's, yeah, yeah. it's uncomfortable for me. It's good yeah. during the day because I can loosen it and I can, yeah. I can take it off. But I do, I do find that I sweat at doc, Dr. Sweaty sweats at night. And, <laughs> and so it, uh, yeah, it's that, that's where, that's where I'm at where I just haven't been able to jump right into the sleep tracking. So anyway, Ah, there's there's the story. I think that's that's now this is a full show. We got a there's bonus Dr. Sweaty um, material here at the end. Uh, yes, all right. Indeed. I will talk to you later. All right. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye.